Dieter Bowen, first time on the talk show. It's, it's been too long without having you on. Yeah, I've uh, been a list- long-time listener. It's good to be on. How you doing? Oh, terrible. Today was uh, Gruber <laughs> family Christmas tree day. It oh, is wow. still... <laughs> I, I say was as though it's the past time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's in the house. Our our living living room is on the second floor. It is. Uh-huh. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you follow follow my wife on Twitter. My wife has a predilection for very large Christmas trees. So oh, take yeah. take a tape measure, measure the ceiling in in your uh, abode, and then add two feet, and that's how big <laughs> of a Christmas tree she wants. And it is every year. <laughs> my son even said in the car ride on the way home from the. Uh, t- artisanal christmas tree farm we have to drive to uh yeah that <laughs> doesn't it feel like it was just yesterday <laughs> i mean yeah, I'm, we, I'm, it, at least this one fits in the house that's all i can say, say yeah but it to get it up on the second floor it is so hard and then try to pick up all the needles on the way up it's oh. just a disaster do you know what though we've yeah. been doing this for for a long time my wife and i've been together <laughs> for many years and we've always had a big christmas tree and it's always a huge mess getting the damn thing out of the house. And then I don't know why. And this is this is just me, me being an idiot. This seems like something I should have thought of years ago. But last year we had a tree that we moved to a bigger house a couple years ago. Well, a house with higher ceilings at least. So we got a bigger tree than ever last year. And it was it literally impossible. I, I honestly didn't see how we were going to get it out of the house. I mean, I, you get it in because it's tied up. You know what I mean? They, they tie yeah. these trees up and, and you get it in. And then it opens up and it's, you know, it's, it's honestly like the, the, the Christmas vacation movie where it's boring <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like there's no room for anything in the living room other than this giant tree. But then, you know, how do you get this tree out? Well, you cut it up. So we got like right. one of these big, uh, like hand shears, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, a ju- like the world's biggest pair of scissors, effectively. See, what, you know? what you should have done was gotten a chainsaw. I, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> See. You're, you think more like me. I thought chainsaw, and my wife, I think sensibly, I think uh, bought this hand tool, and uh, and again, I, I will have to give her credit. She's the one who cut it up, but yeah, it's sort of like dismembering a body, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like one finger at a time. But we got the tree. It's been yeah, a long day. <laughs> yeah, man, it's funny. Uh, you know, my my family's in Minnesota. My wife's family's in Arkansas, and so we're always traveling on the holidays. And so we haven't had a a tree in a while. But um, my family in Minnesota, we we used to have a tree, and then my mom decided screw it, and she got a fake tree. And it's gotten to the point now where they don't even take the decorations off the thing anymore. They just they fold up the plastic with the decorations on it, stick a trash bag over it, put it in the garage, and then the day before we show up, you know, every year for Christmas, they just pull it out, pull the trash bag off, stick it in the living room, and it's done. If you've got room, that sounds so delightful <laughs> compared to the mess that, that we're in. So I, we're recording, and then after we record, I've got to string up the lights. That's my yeah. job. And it, it, with, with any tree, I think with a normal size tree, it takes forever to put the lights on a tree. But with a giant ass tree, it takes forever. Uh, I don't know. I'll I'll be drunk. <laughs> Good. That's the right way to do it. <laughs> All right. You and you did something crazy. You said what? You bought a cir- uh, a Surface Go. Yeah. So I um you know I just reviewed the Pixel Slate. I uh, played around with the iPad Pro a little bit, and I have last year's iPad Pro. 
And I, you know, I, I've got a, a Surface Pro that I, you know, use every now and then, although most of the time when I'm at home, I use a Pixelbook. Anyway, I was like, look, I, I want a, I want a tablet that has LTE and I have a, um, unhealthy, unexplainable obsession with tiny computers. Um, my, my favorite computer of all time, bar none, was the, uh, the 12 inch MacBook back in the day. And then I used the, uh, the new, the new 12 inch MacBook, whatever, whatever we call that thing. Wait, or the 11, the, the, what, the, what do you mean back in the day? The power book, the, uh, when there was the, yeah. the, and the mini me commercial, the, the little guy, uh, what was that? What was, what was that? Was it, was that a power no. or was it 11 inch? It was called a power book. Yeah. How big was that? I, I know which one you're talking about. Cause it had the keyboard that went all the way to the edge. Yeah. Uh, uh I shouldn't be drawing just, a blank on this, but all right, keep going. Anyway, that was my favorite computer. So I love tiny computers. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to give the surface go a shot. Cause I had, I bought the LTE version. Uh, Microsoft was completely incompetent at shipping the thing because uh, it turns out that if you don't actually run a massive retail operation, you just sell, you know, computers on the side, you don't know how to do it. Anyway, I finally got the thing and, um, I'm really impressed with how well Windows uh, integrates with LTE. It just silently falls back when you need it. Um, but I am, you know, still my, my feelings on Windows are the same as they ever are, which is they they laid a great foundation and then they they forgot to uh, furnish it. <laughs> they, they laid the foundation. They built the house. Uh, the house is okay. It's not the best house. It's like a ranch. Um, and then they just forgot to put any furniture in it, and they assumed other people would come in and make apps for it, and and nobody did. Um, and so it's it's a little bit uh, I don't know I can I can get a little bit more done on it than I can on an iPad Pro simply because I, I need so much web app stuff uh, for my job. But generally speaking, uh, it's 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 nice because it it forces me to not work that hard because you can't do that much on it. <laughs> it was in fact a twelve inch PowerBook G four. It was uh, a PowerBook. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know why I was, I don't know why 12 inch threw me off. I should have known that because it, that is the computer and I'm with you on the small computers. That is the PowerBook that I, I never owned one because at mm-hmm. the time I couldn't really afford it slash justify it because I had like a super fancy desktop and I really, really only needed a laptop occasionally. So I got the, uh, the iBook instead. Yeah. Uh, but I like side-eyed that one because it was so gorgeous. Yeah, I, I mean, other, I've talked to Jason Snell about this too. I remember just just a couple years ago. I mean, it wasn't that reason at this point, but maybe like two or three years ago, I was in a, a coffee shop here in Philly and I saw somebody with one. Oh, wow. But at a glance, I couldn't quite, you know, it was just somebody at a table and I saw it and I was like, holy shit, what is that laptop? That is amazing. That is the first non-Apple laptop I've seen in years that makes me really, really jealous. Yeah. And then I like did the double take and looked and I was like, oh, it is an Apple laptop and it's ancient <laughs> and it's super thick. But at a glance, just looking at it like top down with that keyboard, it was like, oh man, that is, that is perfect. Yeah, I uh, I was a grad student at the time, and I would bike to school, uh, and so it was it was small enough to fit my bag with you know the five books I had to stick in my backpack or whatever it was, um, and I would always impress people when I would pull it out because they, they couldn't believe that it existed, and uh, like honestly, that computer in a lot of ways was one of the reasons I like dropped out of grad school, went into technology because everyone was like, what is that thing? And I talk about the thing, and then all of a sudden. Like I was, I realized I was more interested in the computer than I was in, you know, semiotics. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) 
You bought the Surface. I did. It's it's about the what same you, what size. What are you recording like the show on? What are you using to record oh, the show? I'm on a I'm on a, a 13 inch MacBook Pro with a Touch Bar, um, which I regret getting the Touch Bar, not just getting the Escape because I I really hate the Touch Bar, but I wanted just that little bit of extra power because I have it in my head uh, because I make YouTube videos that I'm I'm going to go into this world where I'm going to shoot some stuff and do some basic editing myself and then right. hand it off to somebody that actually knows what they're doing. Um, right. But I, I have yet to figure out how to effectively podcast on anything else other than a Mac. I've, I've taken a little bit of time and played around with some stuff. But when it comes down, if I don't have Audio Hijack, uh, I just feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, it's I've used this analogy. It's probably one of my favorite things I've ever written. But that the, more or less that it's the heaviness of the Mac that allows iOS to remain light. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, what we, and we've all in the last two months, everybody in our racket has run through this entire circle of these two and ones, you know, yes. from the iPad to the surfaces to now, now Google's in it with the, the pixel slate. Um, and that the iPad is going at it from this sort of blown up phone OS and it doesn't do a lot. And all of these complaints are around things that, a re, quote unquote real computer can do or makes easy or you don't have to think about and the iPad either can't do or you've got to jump through a million hoops. And then, you know, like the Chromebooks and the Windows computers are coming from a PC and trying to put a iPad-y tablet interface on. And they all, it, in a, to me, in a nutshell, they all fall short in the most obvious way, which is that none of them really make jump the chasm from where they started. The, the iPad yeah. is still fundamentally a a big phone tablet and the, the computery ones like the Chromebooks and the windows ones never really get the simplified thing. But one of the things you don't even think about is the way that on a Mac, you've got so many audio options and like every app running on your computer can listen to the microphone come, you know, the USB microphone coming in if it wants to. And on the iPad, (laughs) no, (laughs) Well, and you also, you just have so much more ability to, to really sort of fiddle with the way it works. What's the, um, what's the other app that Rogue Amoeba does that lets you squirt audio to different sources and mix and match where it comes in and where it goes. I I used to use that all the time. Um, Uh, there's audio hijack and what else do they have? They've got the new one called, um, they just have an update to loopback, but that does that similarly loopback is like, you can, uh, like if I want if I played sound effects on my podcast or had yeah. like a theme song, I could play the theme song right now and then you would be able to hear it because it would, I could, if I so choose, pump the audio through to Skype or, or whatever. Right. And back in the day, if you wanted to record Skype, it was the only thing that you could use because you wanted to record locally. You didn't want to just record the output from Skype and then you'd want to like take it from one thing to the next. It was right. a whole fiasco. Um, yeah. The the thing about like all of these different, I, I, I wish there was a better term than future of computer computers, but that, that's kind of where we're at. I, I, I've been talking about like big screen computers just to try and you know, admit that phones are everybody's primary device these days. Um, I think you're right that the the where they start is kind of where they are now. And uh, part of the, uh, up until this year, maybe last year, I was relatively forgiving, especially with the iPad. It was like, look, they're they're going to get there. Uh, it started as you know a blown up phone, but they've they've done a really good job of making the UI work on the big screen, and they're trying to like think beyond what just you know cl- traditional windowing are, and that'll be fine. But at this point, it's it's 
been a really long time, right? Like iPad has been around a long time. Yeah, I just I, I just mentioned that it's it's 2010, and yeah. so it's eight years, you know, eight and a half years, really. Uh, that's a long time. And like my thing that I compared it to, and I, I it's not the first time um, other people have done this in years past, but now that we're eight and a half years in, but just comparing it to the Mac when the Mac was eight years old, which would be around 1992 or so. So it's like that was one year into the System Seven era. Um, and the Mac was totally like the cloud. That was like the, the, the peak of the classic Mac era. If anything, you know, it was, yeah. it wasn't just that the Mac had was ahead of the iPad. It was like the, the classic Mac had reached its apex. If anything, entire industries like graphic design and the print industry had, it, it were it, it, within eight years, the entire print industry had been uh, completely blown away and everything was based on Macintosh computers, it, it, which it, when I was young, you know, and that was, you know, I was like, a, you know, first couple of years of college. And then I came out of college and worked in the graphic design industry. It all seemed very normal to me as like, you know, 21 year old, 22 year old that, yeah, of course, all of this stuff revolves around Macintoshes. That's what, yeah. it, you know, it would, you'd have to be an animal to do this some other way. But in hindsight, now that I'm in my forties and I think about an industry that completely dropped everything it did every technology from what the designers used to what the guys in the print shop did in eight years everything was thrown out they just threw it all out and switched everything to macintosh computers it was amazing you know is there is there any like are there any parallels to that today i'd, I'd really have to stretch my mind to think of something and you know you say that the the mac being heavy is what lets the ipad be light but i think it also it it gives people an excuse not to do that with the iPad. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. If, if, since the Mac is there, you don't have to convert everything over to the iPad and that in some ways holds it back. Yeah. Uh, in some ways. And I, I think that's the fear that some Macintosh fans have. And, and like I've said recently, like if anything, I would be, if I was a fan of one of, you know, the, uh, it, it had to, you know, had all of my chips in one of Apple's platforms, uh, the one that I would be the most worried about if I was all in on would be iPad because it's the iPad that's never gotten the love. Like the Mac users are the ones who are paranoid and have this fear that Apple wants every, is going to abandon the Mac and have everybody, you know, just use iPads or stick iOS on a laptop or, or big S 30 inch, you know, iMac right, style yeah. thing. But if anything that, you know, it's the iPad that's seen the least love over the last eight years it really has. Yeah. Just in terms of, I mean, they, they added the split screen and there's a little slide over thing. And, you know, there, there's a, a few of those accommodations, but it's, it's like you, you need to be like an alchemist. You need to be a wizard to, yeah. to really get to some stuff that feels pretty basic. And it's like drag and drop and even the file management stuff. And I recognize whenever I talk about this, people in media are like, well, you're, you're asking for the past. You're asking for like mainframe com com computers and command lines in an age of, of the GUI and just accept the future. And like, I'm trying, I'm trying super hard. Uh, whenever I am not at my office, uh, I am using one of these computers and trying to use it in the way that it's meant. And I just, I hit that wall every time and there are different walls for these different computers. So like the surface go, the, the thing that's really interesting about windows is, um, 
it never tells you no. It never says, hey, you know what? I can't do this. There's this weird wall here. Uh, and you know you have no idea how to get a file onto this thing. You could always do whatever the hell you want on a Windows computer. But on a Surface Go, being able to do whatever the hell you want ends up being a huge problem, right? The, the cognitive load ends up being holding yourself back from like opening up the 10th Chrome tab. Um, whereas that's not a problem on the iPad. The iPad will never screw up, but there's just things that it just refuses to do. Yeah, you can't really, you can't shoot yourself with an iPad. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you need a gun. <laughs> um, so the Surface Go is yeah. is the one that does it, it, it I, I get confused. Which one is the yeah. Surface Go? So the Surface Go, is the t- it's the tiny one. So Microsoft, right. their whole Surface line, they've got the Surface Pro, which is their, their you know, thing with the kickstand. And, it's, right. you know, it's been around forever. And it started off really badly because they had it running Windows RT, which was a, an embarrassment of an operating system. And that Windows 8 didn't make it much better. Blah, 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 blah. It's come around to being a really nice, pretty, like, flexible device. And people like it. But I think most people just use it as a laptop. And then every now and then, if you want to read a book or something, you can, you know, flip the keyboard around um the surface go is the tiny version of it so it's i forget the size of the screen it's like i don't know 10 inches or something pretty ridiculous but it's about the size of, a, of the small ipad um and uh, meaning meaning not the ipad mini but like the i the small yeah, iPad the, pro. The, the the like the 11 inch ipad pro yeah um and the reason i like it uh is one it lets me you know do a little bit more work stuff than I can on an iPad just because like I need to drag and drop an image without having to, you know, try four times in a row to do it. Like it, it honestly comes down to that. Uh, but also they have a version that has LTE and man, I, I do not ever want to buy another computer again that doesn't have LTE built in. Um, and I, I understand why companies don't make them. They, they barely sell, um, uh, especially if you have a computer with an Intel chip, getting it to integrate well, turns out to be pretty difficult and you have to have a whole lot of extra parts on there. Whereas on an arm chip, you, you know, the whole thing can be built into the, the SOC. Um, I wonder if that's the long story short of why Apple still doesn't have a MacBook with LTE. And, and yeah. cause when you ask them, they, they, they really go off the rails. I mean, they, Apple product marketing people are usually very good about even giving a non-answer, but the non-answer on why aren't there LTE Macs is really like it, I get to the end of it. And I'm like, what did you say? Well, I don't even yeah. understand what, I don't even understand what you just said. Like they have an answer ready to go, but it, it's like talks you around in a circle and it's like, you feel like you just got pickpocketed. Yeah. I think that putting LTE on a computer, uh, represents like a half dozen compromises. You, you compromise on sales numbers cause no one, no one buys them really. Mm-hmm. Um, you compromise on the system design of the thing itself because you have to put an extra Qualcomm chip and then you have to make sure it works in there and then you got to figure out how all that goes. Um, you, and then you, you compromise on the body of the computer cause yep. you have to have a, a SIM card, right? Uh, well, somewhere. and you have and to, the antennas. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing that, about the antenna is that everybody, uh, on all of these devices, everybody wants to use aluminum right now. I yeah. mean, aluminum is the material of the decade and you can't get cell signals through metal. Right. So you've got to have some, you know, you got to do something to get the antenna on the outside. Yeah. And I just think that you start stacking those compromises up and I don't know, Johnny Iver, somebody inside Apple is just like, nope, that's, that's one too far. I mean, it, I, I'm sure that if Apple could, they would, they'd get rid of the, you know, the SIM card door on the yeah. iPhone. Right. And, and they would be right to, but the, the way that, um, you know, carriers work, 
Uh, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> so let me, t- this is actually a good, I, fr- I didn't have this in my notes to talk about, but I should, uh, cause it's the sort of thing that I don't want to write an article about. Cause I feel like I would waste two days on it and it's a little <laughs> too self servy to be an article, but it's a good podcast rant is all right. My family is on Verizon and yeah. we have a family plan. And Verizon has a pretty good deal. I think you have to pay a $30 activation fee, which is total bullshit. And it really, really, it's like $30 that feels like 300 to me morally. It, it, I really hate it. But you get an iPad on the family plan. And then after that, you just pay 10 bucks a month for the extra device. And it just uses the shared pool data. Yeah. And you can just sort of keep track of how much data your family uses and adjust your plan. You know, it's like turning a dial. They make it very easy to say, you know what, let's go from 15 to 20 because we're going yeah. away, you know, this summer. We're going to be traveling. We're going to be on LTE all the time. It's Once you're on it, it's pretty easy. And so yeah. it's only 10 bucks more to get another device on, which is a great deal. Now, well, so in- actually, no, it's not. Well, <laughs> why are you paying that 10 bucks? I- <laughs> I actually I agree with you that that is actually it is kind of offensive after they had the activation fee. I it, yeah. you're right. But still it for me the 10 bucks a month it, it there's a moral outrage that I have to pay anything at all. But yeah. It's it, it's a good deal. <laughs> yeah. So um all of my LTE devices are on Project Fi, which is Google or no, I'm sorry, it's called they just changed the name to Google Fi and a sign right. that maybe they're not gonna kill it like they've killed every other communications product they've ever made. Um and I love it because it's if you don't use that much data, it's pretty cheap. It's ten bucks a gig flat, that's it, and it's yeah. twenty bucks for a phone line. But data only devices cost nothing. So you can just go to the website and order a data SIM. And I've got like four of them just sitting around. And anything you put them in, they just work. They come off the same bucket of data. They don't cost anything per month. They're just around and they've got LTE if you need them. Yeah, that and, and there's a nice cap on the fee where it's like if it's one device, I think it's like after six gigabytes, which is 60 bucks, then you, you don't pay any more until you get to like 25 gigabytes or something. And then they right. just slow you down. So yeah, they sell you down and then you can pay a little extra to turn it off. If right. You need so to. it's really yeah. good. So if you use seven gigabytes or eight gigabytes on a device, you don't even pay over the 60. Uh, no, it's, it's a really good rate. Um, well, here's the thing. I don't use, I don't put my personal iPad on the family Verizon account. I, I have an AT&T account for it okay. simply because I, I, I like the safety of having a second network, you know, yes. especially in airports. I don't know why, but it's like every airport in the country, in my opinion, in my experience, there's like it, each terminal gets reception on one carrier, <laughs> may, maybe. And it's like yeah. of all the places in the country that should be saturated with cell service, it should be airports. Like every single person in the airport is on their phone. I, I yeah. don't understand why airports have such. I don't. I don't know if it's a safety thing or what. But even in 2018, you get terrible cellular reception in airports, and it often helps. You know, like my phone on Verizon gets Nada, and the iPad with AT and T gets something. But it's it's like your options on AT&T. Because I just got a new iPad. I reviewed it. I reviewed the whole thing. And what am I paying for? And it's like, I think it's like 15 bucks a month you can get something from AT&T. But it, it, yeah. it's literally like 
250 megabytes or something of data. It, it is preposterously low. Yeah. So I, I'm paying 50 bucks a month for my iPad to get seven gigabytes of data, which is a lot of money for a second device. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, 600 bucks a year. But I checked and I actually like went through my account and looked and I use three, four, you know, last few months, three, four, five gigabytes at a time because I use it all the time when I travel. Um, so I do use it, but it, it kind of sucks. And, and I'm starting, you know, I'm wondering, you know, should I just cancel it and just take my chances with Verizon everywhere? But anyway, here's the, the thing I went through is my, I had a SIM card for the, my old iPad uh-huh. on AT&T and I popped it out and I put it in my new iPad, the iPad pro and it worked and I'm, I was on the account. But when I went to setting cellular to like do this thing where I was like, I want to review my account and see if I'm getting the best deal. Should I switch or whatever? It would, it, it had like no, I, I forget what the interface said, but it, it was like, it wouldn't let me sign into my AT&T account. And I had huh. to go through this crazy thing and I went through the website and they wouldn't take my password and I had to reset my password and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and then I found out the password reset wasn't wasn't kicking in. And then I found a second form on the AT&T website <laughs> for like iPad users who can't log in. And instead of just your email address, they wanted your email address and like the EMEI identifier. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the SIM card number. So I could get the SIM card number pretty easy, but the EMEI number it wouldn't work. It kept saying this isn't recognized. And then I realized it was it, it probably wanted my old iPad's EMEI number. And I went to the old one, and that one didn't work. And then I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I've been using AT&T since I had like a 2014 or 2012 iPad mini. I'm like, Jesus, do I even still have that? So I like had to go through my office. I mean, this seriously took me like, like an hour, <laughs> find an old iPad mini from like 2012. The first one I had with like cellular fire that thing up and get the EM EI number off that. And it worked. Holy shit. That it actually let me in. I mean, I probably should have just called it actually probably would have taken me less time and less aggravation to actually get on the phone and call them. But yeah, I had to go through all of that and then it finally worked. And I had this SIM card and I went through all that work to get the SIM card working. And then I thought, well, what about this eSIM thing? Isn't that nice? And, and so I, I did the thing to switch my iPad to the eSIM and that worked. But after I went through all that work to get the SIM card working, and then after I did this, I found out like immediately, like within a minute, I was Googling something and I found out that because AT&T is AT&T, once you lock your, once you put your eSIM on an iPad on AT&T, it is permanently locked to AT&T. <laughs> What? Yes. I swear, I'm not making this up. <laughs> so even though it's a virtual SIM, it is a virtual yeah. SIM. It is permanently locked to AT&T. And I guess there is some kind of way that you can go to an AT&T store and ask them, beg them. And they'll maybe uh, if you cancel your account, maybe they'll unlock the device. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not making this. I never would have done this if I had known this. <laughs> I would have just stuck with the SIM card I had that worked. But now not only is my iPad eSIM locked to AT&T. I no longer have a SIM card I can pop out and put in a new iPad. Yeah. God. It was what a mistake. What a nightmare. And so of course, long way of saying, I kind of get why device makers are aren't putting LTE into everything. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it, it, I I don't know. I I deal with with switching carriers and dealing with this crap all the time. My my biggest headache recently and this is one that I I pray nobody ever has to deal with was getting 
the Palm phone activated on Verizon. That the um, little thing? Yeah. And I, by the way, I pray no one ever has to go with this because nobody should buy this thing. I'm actually right. I'm supposed to put my review of it next week. We'll see if I actually get around to it. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hold that thought. I'm going to do our, my first sponsor read. Okay. <laughs> so funny. I do want to talk about that thing. Um, I have a great sponsor to tell you about. Um, IGG Software. This is a company. They make an app called Banktivity. It is an easy-to-use, full-featured personal finance management app exclusively for Mac and iOS. So this is a company that knows the pain that Mac users have had for decades with personal finance apps that have been dominated by a certain company we shall not name who would have an app that would go literally maybe like a decade between software updates. Uh, yet, because you know one company dominated the Mac for personal finance, nobody else really entered the field. And there really just have been a, a dearth of high-quality Look, this is clearly meant for the Mac. This isn't just a little web view. This isn't something ported over from Windows. It's a real Mac app, a real iPhone app. Um, Banktivity is that app. It is a terrific app. Um, and it was born on the Mac and really is native for Mac and iOS. It connects to over 10,000 banks, and you can use it to track your checking and savings accounts, credit cards, everything in between. Your mortgage, real estate, loans, investments, retirement accounts, anything you would want to track in a personal finance app, Banktivity can do it. Powerful features like customizable reports, budgeting, planning, bill tracking, and more. Um, the latest version, up to date, they're a great, great Mac developer. It already supports Mojave with dark mode support. Everything you'd want in a top-tier Mac developer, IgG does it, and Banktivity has it. It's a really great app. If you're looking for a personal finance app, I highly recommend it. It really looks great. It, it's just a super powerful app. Um, and they've got all sorts of information on their website, live chat support, and more. Uh, so don't be a procrastinator. Get on, get a jump on your personal finances for 2019. Get ahead of your New Year's resolutions. Uh, check out Banktivity. They have a 30-day free trial. And they're offering a special discount just for listeners of this show. So go to IGGsoftware.com slash the talk show. That's with the, the the talk show. And you get 10% off Banktivity using coupon code the talk show. Um, it's in all capitals, no spaces. I don't know if you have to type it that way, but wouldn't hurt if you did. Uh, and they even have a 90 day money back guarantee. So once you pay, you have 90 days, you get all your money back. Um, this offer is only available when you download or purchase directly from their website. So you've got the best computers on the planet, the best phone, the best, uh, laptop. Why not have the best personal finance software? My thanks to Banktivity. All right. This Palm phone. Yeah. <laughs> I saw this a month ago. Somebody at the Apple, I think it was, uh, I forget what we were doing in New York. I don't know. One of the things, oh, it was with the iPhone XR when the iPhone XR yeah. came out and there were press briefings in New York and one of the other writers had, had the Palm phone. So I got to see it. <laughs> I, I wanted it to be good. Yeah. I, I wanted it to be good. Not, not because I have a, you know, super long history with Palm, uh, but just because I, I like the idea. Again, small computers. I like the idea of a, of a small phone, and everyone got really jazzed about this idea that you could have a, a phone that would keep you less distracted. But 
man, it's just bad. It's bad in every way. Um, and it doesn't uh, have volume buttons. <laughs> it doesn't have. It doesn't have volume buttons. It. Um, it's, it, the battery is terrible, uh, which is, you know, if your whole job is to have a phone that you can take with you on a weekend trip or something, it, it should last at least a day and it can't. Uh, and this isn't just me using it. It's me, um, I don't know, having it around and like turning it on every now and then to, to test it a little bit. I honestly, it's just, it's terrible. I, for, I, I forget who's, who had it at the Apple event, but he was showing it and it was 1030 in the morning or maybe even earlier, but it was around yeah. 10 in the morning. And <laughs> This was at 37%. Yep. <laughs> it was comical. And I mean, to go back to the, the carrier stuff, I, I'm sure, you know, I, the, the guys who started this company, uh, they, you know, one of them was a former Samsung guy, and he, he made some pretty decent devices for Samsung back in the day. Um, and so I, I believe that they were like an independent company that started up, but they got captured by Verizon just immediately. So mm. you can't buy this thing on its own. You just can't. You can't go buy it and make it a phone. You can only buy it as an add-on device on Verizon. And it is impossible to use it and get text messages on it uh, unless you use Verizon's text messaging app, which is called Message Plus. And <laughs> Dude, if you want to experience the worst messaging app on planet Earth, download and install Message Plus. It has um, custom emoji. It has a, a feature, if you want, where you can have your uh, usage tracked so that they can share your information with Oath, AOL Oath, the, uh, you know, the <laughs> yeah. ad network that owns a bunch of sites. Uh, it has a feature where, if you want, they can suggest um, greeting cards to you that you can buy in the app. Um and it's slow and it's buggy, but it's the only way to get a text message on Verizon that doesn't use the classic SMS system, but comes over IP. And it, that otherwise you just, you don't get your text messages on this thing. Um, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm downloading it right now on the, oh, Pixel, God. <laughs> on the Pixel 3. My Pixel 3 is not even on Verizon, so I have no you can, idea. You can it's... actually get it on the iPhone. If you, yes, if you have a, like, so if I, if I have my Verizon SIM and my Pixel, I can download this on my iPhone and then scan a QR code on the Pixel and then it becomes like a little iMessage app, uh, a little text messaging app on the iPhone that gets numbers that are sent to my Verizon SIM on my Pixel phone. It's completely insane. It, it refused to run because I wouldn't give it permission to make phone calls. Yeah, sorry. Um and this, by the way, is why I am uh, ha spent the last month emailing every single carrier in the U.S. asking them when um, uh, Rich Communication Services, RCS, is finally going to launch. Uh, because I really want to see, are they going to be as horrible with RCS as they have been with literally everything else that they do? <laughs> it's, it's really bad. And if you yeah. don't allow it to take over as your default SMS app, it won't run. Yep. <laughs> it <quit. laughs> Says, do you want this? Do you want Verizon messages to handle SMS for yeah. you? And I said no, and it quit. Yep. <laughs> well, uninstalled it. That yeah, is you the don't beauty wanna... of phones. I mean, and it's it's like because I would never install the equivalent of this on my Mac because I would yeah. just assume that it was putting some kind of eleven year old kernel extension in and <laughs> doing all sorts of irreparable harm in the library folder. Uh, phone is so fun even you know android iphone whatever you can just install it laugh at it and then delete it uh. 
Well, we, we put it off long enough. Do you want me to rant about the Pixel Slate? Yes, the Pixel Slate. Man. So if you're not familiar, it is uh, Google's new Chrome OS tablet. They've had Chrome OS laptops before. The Pixel Book was last year. Is it still around? It's, it's actually The Pixel good. Book is up to number three, right? Isn't it like the third? I forget. So they had, they had Chromebook Pixels before. Right. So they had one and two. And then they took a couple of years off and they made the Pixel, Slate, or the Pixel Book. And now they're making the Pixel Slate, which is right. the, the full-on tablet with a detachable keyboard. And, um, man, everything about this thing is just frustrating and uh, usually not good. If you have the keyboard attached and it's sitting on a desk, it basically feels like a Pixel Book, like a standard Chrome OS device. And you've got Windows and all the stuff, and you can move stuff around. And you might have a couple of Android apps because it can run Android apps, and it's okay. Um, but as soon as you do anything other than that, it just falls completely apart. Um, the, the response time in tablet mode to like, you know, move a window around and go into split screen is measured. Like the, the lag is almost a second, if not more, like, like it should be less than 20 milliseconds for a human not to notice it. And it can like, it could be a second. (laughs) I, and that's one of those things where I, I actually read your review first and then, uh, I usually do watch the videos too, but mm. sometimes I find that the videos are spoilers. I'd rather read the whole thing first. And if I'm going to hear something again, I'd rather hear it again in the video than have it spoiled. But anyway, somebody on Twitter mentioned something like, oh my God, I can't see how anybody who watches Dieter's video could, you know, could not say this thing is, is a turd. I was like, oh, I got to watch the video. And I watched the video and like your description of it as juttery <laughs> was <laughs> generous. <laughs> Just like, how did they ship this? I- who at Google in their new hardware division, presumably it's a guy in charge, Rick Osterlo, who uh, is a pretty good guy, came over from Motorola back in the day. Um, who at Google's job is it to say no, don't right. ship this? Uh, I don't know who that person is. And that person should have said, like, I honestly don't think they should have shipped this. Um, it, it Or they, they should not have shipped it with, uh, with you know, the, the quote unquote tablet features that it has. I right. would have much rather, if it had been a tablet and I had to deal with the awkwardness of Windows on it, I would have been like, well, or it only worked in full screen or something, which is right. the way Chrome always used to work. I would have been like, well, this is bad, but they'll fix it next year. Right. And in the meantime, you know, at least full screen works if you just want to watch a movie or something. Life goes on. Uh, instead, they they tried to make it a little bit more iPad-like. And it was so bad, I don't understand why nobody just said, hey, you know what? We, we don't we don't need this. It's not like Google makes any money off of these things. Yeah. Like they, they get nothing out of selling this other than uh, like a halo effect, right? It's sort of like when Microsoft first started making Surface devices, you'd ask, well, why, why are you making this thing? Like, well, you know, we want to, we're, we're not worried that we're going to undercut our competitors. And honestly, we need to learn how to make these things so that they will learn how to make better things. Because um, Windows laptops were actually, they had a really long period where they were awful. Yeah. I mean, and after Microsoft started making the Surface, they all started like, oh, wait, we'll do it that way. And they got a little bit better over time. It actually I, worked. Yeah. yeah. What Microsoft yeah. said at the time, and, and there was, you know, uh, as long time, in, you know, people who've watched the industry, it just seemed bizarre for Microsoft to be making PC hardware when they've been the company that works with every, how can you both be their partner mm-hmm. and their competitor? But it worked. It, it raised yeah. the bar, you know, for, for PC laptops. Yeah, and, and Google's done the same thing for years with the, the Nexus devices before they, they made this hardware division, started calling everything Pixel. Um, and the Chromebook is supposedly in the same category. Like, here's the flagship. We know that 
a hundred thousand people at most are going to buy this thing, but whatever, we need to learn how to develop for this new processor. And we want to teach everybody that's making the $300 Chromebooks how to do it better. So we're going to make this thing. Um, but if your flagship halo device that is supposed to lead the way for the industry of how it's supposed to go, can't move a window around in tablet mode without, uh, everything like shuttering to a stop, uh, that's a big problem. And I haven't even, that's like, that's just the, the baseline. Like I have, yeah. I could, I could go on for another 45 minutes of complaints about how the keyboard folio works, about uh, how Bluetooth crashes. Uh, the whole thing was just a mistake. They, they shouldn't have shipped it. I, I don't know. I don't know how that happens inside a company. Like how, how you get past that, Hey, go or no go. And this thing is literally like the, the software equivalent of crumbling apart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess that somehow you, you, you get a, you know, they obviously wanted to announce it alongside the Pixel 3, so they have this ship date, you know, announcement date in late September, early October, whenever that was. And and they somehow had this on the whiteboard that we've got to ship this then. And, you know, the hardware, I guess, is clearly ready. I don't think it, I don't think, you know, because it works so well in laptop mode, it's not crummy hardware. It's, yeah, no, it's really good hardware, actually. You know, and uh, I, I feel like that's the problem. I feel like, you know, if the hardware is good and hardware, you know, you can't fix, can't send over the air patches to hardware, you know, the hardware has to be or not be. And you can talk yourself in a circle that, well, we can always fix software later, you know, mm-hmm. and I guess and that's for, it. Yeah, for Google in particular with Chrome OS, uh, they've been telling themselves that for literally years because a new version of Chrome OS comes out every six weeks. And, you know, usually it's just bug fixes and, you know, a couple of tweaks here or there. Uh, but it's, it's great because you're, you're, you know, it's secure, um, and little features sort of pop up that are kind of useful. And, uh, you know, it, it's nice to know that you're not going to have to wait a year for some app to get updated. This no. is, this is to me, the most frustrating thing about using, an, uh, an iPhone is, uh, all, all of those software developers working on a new version of the app, it all gets bundled into this big giant iOS update. You know, every you know, September, they've they've uh, sort of been doing a. I think the last at least two years, Apple's done a better job of having like a a dot two or a dot three around yeah. February or so, or February or March. That is sort of like the high point of the year for the software. Right. But, but there's an awful lot of features that like. You just know that if it's coming, we've got to wait till September. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and if you think about it, like it's, it's actually kind of nuts. Like, could you imagine if Apple wanted to update the, I don't know, the mail client on the Mac? I mean, I guess they kind of wait there, but, um, an Android phone or on, on, I guess, I guess on a pixel, there aren't really any apps on a pixel that ship built in just a couple. Uh, if, if Google's got a new version of Gmail that they like, they just, it's just there because they ship everything through the infrastructure of the play store. Um, anyway, the point is Google is able, since they're able to update this Chrome OS operating system every six weeks, anytime something goes out, that's like not that great, they know that there's going to be a new version. They can fix it every six weeks. And so I think it might lower the, uh, the stakes of shipping bad software. Whereas with Apple, if, you know, if they're really going to wait, uh, you know, a year for the next big thing, or they're going to wait till the next big, you know, dot update, uh, to go out, if Apple ships something that is subpar, uh, it's it's a much bigger deal. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think that Apple is has. I, I think it's part of the rhythm of the Apple calendar year. You know, the way that Apple mm. sort of does everything. You know, it, it, they're a very annual company, and in a way, the the real test is: can we show this at WW on stage at WWDC? It does right. obviously doesn't have to be ready. I mean, beta still means beta, but. 
like they'll never show a mock-up of what it's going to look like. Like when they do a demo of iOS 13 this coming June, whatever they're showing is actual software running on an actual device. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not in close enough form that they could actually demo it on stage, it doesn't make the cut for iOS 13. It's, you know, you're sorry, your, your team is on iOS 14, you know, yeah. come yeah. back next year. And that gives them then three months to get it in shape, you know, like, okay, we've demoed it. We've promised it. Let's, you know, let's actually finish it, but it can't yeah. be like <laughs> one frame per second. <laughs> well, and, and Apple Apple is so consistent about shipping the stuff that they demo that the few times when they don't, it just right. it becomes a, a you know a running joke that everybody can can reference and everybody knows about. So, right, I like mean, group like, FaceTime was group late. FaceTime, uh, AirPower, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know, like open sourcing FaceTime. I guess was like one thing, but like they they, they almost never promise something on stage that they don't eventually ship. <laughs> you know the story behind the open source. FaceTime. FaceTime, right? Uh, I think so. Uh, but, but tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I think, was it WWDC? Was it, I don't know if it was WWDC or Macworld Expo. I yeah. think it was probably a WWDC. But either way, it was a Monday keynote. And it was like Saturday. <laughs> and they're doing like Saturday or Sunday. So it's like either 48 hours or 24 hours before. And they're doing, you know, full dress rehearsal of the keynote. Yeah. And they get to the FaceTime part. And <laughs> Steve Jobs gets to it and says, hey, what about, what about FaceTiming people on other, on other devices? You know, wouldn't that be great? Uh, <laughs> you know, not everybody has an iPhone. What about, you know, FaceTiming people on computers? And they're like, well, I don't know. We'll think about it. And he was like, what if we just open source it? We'll open source it. We don't care. You know, we'll just make yeah. it, a, we'll make it a standard. And you're like, all right. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the FaceTime team heard about it when they were watching the keynote Monday morning. <laughs> and... So the FaceTime team is like in, in their offices watching the live the internal live stream of the keynote and they hear Steve Jobs saying, we're going to make it an industry standard. It's going to be open source. <laughs> and they're all looking at each other and they're like, at, some of them were mad because they're like, why didn't they tell me? Why wasn't I told? And then like yeah. managers are like, I, you got me. <laughs> and then the engineers were like, well, we didn't write this. You know, we can't open up the source. This is also, you know, there's X, Y, and Z reasons that, you know, if you were going to make it open, you would write it, you know, a different way yeah, right? Yeah. or not use certain patents or license certain things. They're like, we can't open source this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and basically that's one of the reasons why, I mean, there was a, like a very specific lawsuit that Apple was involved in over some kind of awful, awful software patent. And it's partly why FaceTime got bad for a couple of years because they actually had to like change the code. But so there's a, oh, other reasons too, but basically long story short of why FaceTime never went open source is it was, <laughs> it never really could. It was just something <laughs> Steve jobs pulled out of his ass, like the weekend before. It, no. <laughs> so I've heard, I don't know this for a fact. I don't yeah. have, I don't have a firsthand report of that. I have secondhand report of that, but that's incredible. Sounds true, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> sounds like Steve jobs. Right. <laughs> But yeah, I think that 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 June WWDC, you know, tentpole in the calendar of if we don't if we can't show it, you know, it doesn't ship in September. I mean, the only yeah. thing that they that they ship in September that they don't show at WWDC are features specific to the new phone, you know, like yeah. so Face ID they didn't show, but I think internally, you know, it obviously had to be ready, you know months in advance it's not yeah, like yeah. it's not like in june you could say well facetime isn't working yet but don't worry we'll <laughs> we'll have it by september <laughs>
Yeah, Google <laughs> just does it does it different. Uh, they they're they're always they, they just ship stuff constantly yeah. throughout the year, and so it's it's funny. In, in some ways, you know, their big developer conference is Google I/O in in May, um, and in some ways it's just like well we'll just we'll just announce whatever is close right now i guess uh but that doesn't nobody actually like holds anything for it well, like, like well this is the stuff that's ready this week so this well, is what'll be in like Google the thing I, I got a you know i people were mad at me because i called them out on it but they they had what was the thing called where they were going to oh, have uh, duplex duplex yes and i said hey this looks <laughs> this looks like a pile of horseshit and here we are in november and there's still no duplex there's a very cool similar feature in 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 the latest Android operating system that your phone can answer a, like mm-hmm. a robo caller, a super cool feature that I really, really hope Apple can somehow steal. Um, cause it's awesome, but it isn't duplex. It isn't, it isn't telling your Google assistant to make you a, a dentist appointment. So having it, it happen. Yeah, it's launched in like a tiny, 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 tiny beta. Uh, and we've actually managed to make a couple reservations for it. There was a thing last week where someone at a restaurant posted a recording of it. And oh, just like, last hey, week. You, it was just like, yeah. Cool. And, and, and you listen to it and it says, hey, I'm from Google something, something, something. But it never said, I'm a robot, right? Mm-hmm. Or never said, I'm the assistant. It just said, I'm calling on, from Google on behalf of so and so. And so, like, you change your disclosure. This is bad. And it turns out that that was one of the duplex calls that was actually completed by a human being. <laughs> um, and so it's – and the other thing is, so far as we can tell, the only restaurants that it's rolled out to are restaurants that have, um, like, a, already a pre-existing pretty close relationship with Google through their their small business thing. Hmm. Um, and and so, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's going to be a long time before this becomes a regular feature that, that anybody uses. People totally misunderstood my skepticism too like Mm -hmm. i wasn't saying like uh you know and people some people jump on the whole like they think that i'm in the bag for apple and they're like oh my god can you know you think siri is so great you know you you have no idea how good google assistant is it's like no i know exactly how good google assistant is I, i i use these things and i get it and i totally understand that if there's any organization on earth that might have something like this actually working in a lab it's my money would be on Google. You know, mm-hmm. maybe my second bet would be on Amazon. Uh, you know, I, I, I get it that Google is working on things like this. I get it that we will, this something like this will be available eventually. <laughs> I'm just saying that what they showed on stage and said would be shipping in a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, in the quote unquote near future to like everybody, it, that isn't, <laughs> that isn't what they're, that isn't happening. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, there may be no other organization that could do this than Google, but there's also, I don't know if there's any other organization that could be as, um, I don't know, make an unforced error of not understanding how people would react to it. <laughs> yes. Right. So just, totally it, doesn't, it doesn't occur to them right. that people might be, uh, one skeptical about the, you know, whatever edits they made to the audio to like have it fit in the keynote. Is, like, is this real or not? And two, that people would be like, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to talk to a robot. Like it just, they're like, they're so impressed with how cool it is. They doesn't, they don't think about that. There are people outside of the Silicon Valley bubble. that would be like, wait a minute. That's, or no, <laughs> or not that you don't want to talk to a robot, but that you don't want to sick a robot on your hairstylist. You know, right. like, yep. hey, I've been going to her for, for ten years. She knows me. I don't <laughs> want to have her talking to a creepy robot on behalf of me. And then yep. uh, I go in there and have to look her in the eye and say, oh, oh yeah, I did that. <laughs> I <laughs> I sent a robot to make this appointment for me, even though you know. And again, it will happen. And we will be doing it and it'll all seem normal, but it, it, it has to, has to be introduced the right way. 
Yeah. Uh, all right. I want to keep talking on some of this Google stuff, and I want to talk. Uh, definitely want to talk about the Pixel Three. But sure. in the meantime, I'm going to take another break here and thank our next sponsor. This sponsor, you've got to remember this Fracture. Now you know who Fracture is. Fracture, they, you send them photos, they print them on glass. I told you last episode that you should pause the episode right now as you listen to it and go order your Fracture prints for the holidays. As I speak to you, I don't know when you're going to listen to this episode, but as I speak to you, they've already got a ship date in like the middle of December. It's like December 13th if you order today. But you can't order today because you're not going to hear this episode today. So by tomorrow, it might be December 14th, might be December 15th. Don't wait. This is a, such a great gift idea. Get them for anybody who you have, any, anybody in your family, your parents, send them pictures of your kids or your dog or your cat, send them pictures of you, uh, anybody in your family, get them for your spouse, get them for your significant other. Everybody loves pictures. Fracture pictures look awesome. They are terrific, terrific pictures, super high quality, printed directly on the glass. Everything you need to hang it up on the wall or put it on the mantle, whatever you need, everything comes in a box. You don't need a frame. You don't need anything to prop it up, but it's such a great gift idea, but you cannot wait because it will, you know, they get backed up. They print all these things down in their uh, factory down in Gainesville, Florida, right here in the USA. Ecologically friendly. It's all green. You can feel good about that. Um, Don't pause the episode. Yeah, I know. I said that last time. It's probably nonsense. You're not going to break the flow of this show. But make a note to yourself. Put a big sticky right now, wherever you are, to remind yourself that when you're done listening to this show, take an hour. Go through your photos from the last year. Pick out your favorites. Send them to fracture get them printed out as gift ideas and you'll thank me for it it's really just the best gift idea ever but you're running out of time uh where do you go to find out more go to fractureme.com fractureme.com slash talk t-a-l-k just talk t-a-l-k and you'll get a special discount on your first fracture order uh, and seriously that's the, the that's your whole to do list for the rest of the day. Finish this episode. Me and Dieter talking about Pixel Three, iPhones, cameras, whatever else is on our agenda, and then uh, order your fracture prints for the holidays. Great gift idea, but you're running out of time. Uh, anything else on the Pixel Slate? Here, I guess the one thing here's the thing that stuck out to me from your review is sure. that the 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 Pixel Book is is a probably about as good as a Chromebook could be. I don't have yeah. one, but I've seen it. It is very nice, uh, you know, nice display. It's it's a nice hardware laptop. It's got a good trackpad. It's got a good keyboard. Uh, and it does, if you like Chrome OS, if you want a Chrome system running on a, on a laptop, it's about as good as you could get, you know. I mean, you know, obviously it's a year old at this point, so there's, you know, some kind of speed bump they could get. Um which, but probably isn't worth it. Like, I don't think it's, it's not just Apple that sort of is, uh, on an irregular (laughs) update schedule for their (laughs) laptops based on Intel CPUs. There really is sort of a, like when I talk to some people at Apple about, well, look, why are the, why did it take so, you know, why aren't, why doesn't, why don't you get a a one-year update every, on everything in the MacBook lineup every year? And they're like, you know, some, sometimes it's, you know, there's just diminishing returns on Moore's law at this point where it's not even worth it. Yeah. Um, but it's really, it's, it's a great realization of what a Chromebook could be. Whereas the pixel slate is so flawed, 
right? And it, to me, it almost is like a mar on the Pixel brand. Yep. You know, and, and yep. the phone, and we'll get to it, but the phone is, the both phones, the, the big one and the small one, are very, very, very good realizations of what an Android phone can be in 2018. And it's, you know, the Pixel brand is a good one, and then they stick this turd out there. Yeah, it's 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 baffling. And the there there was a rumor that there was going to be an update to the Pixel book that would uh make it better by get, making the bezels around the screen smaller. Hmm. Um and uh, I don't know, it it may have just been I mean, the rumor came from like these advertisements that were popping up and people would like pixel peep them and be like, "This screen is too big." So it may have just been like an overzealous like marketer <laughs> that was like, "I'm going to make this thing look better and make the screen bigger." Um but anyway, there there were some rumors that they were out there. And if they had done that, uh, and you know, bumped the processor to to this year's processor. Everyone was like, "All right, yeah, they made it. They made it a little bit better." Uh, I would have, you know, said, "Oh, they fixed the Bluetooth." You know, a couple of things, and everyone, everybody would have been pretty happy. Um, now, when you put the Pixel Slate into tablet mode, you you can flip the keyboard around. Um, you run into a lot of the same problems, but because it's a laptop that you just use as a tablet if you want to every now and then, which everybody tells me when I talk to people in the industry, nobody does this. Like when you have a computer with a touchscreen that you can flip around in a tablet mode, uh, everybody who buys it's like, oh yeah, this is great. I'm not, not carrying another tablet. I'm going to watch movies on it. And then nobody ever does anything except use it as a laptop, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, right. Cause a lot of them have it set up so you can, um, it, you you can turn it upside down and set it up like a like a TP almost to yeah, watch yeah. videos. But why would you do that? Why not just watch the video in laptop mode? Right? It's like it's, yeah. it, does it really mar your movie viewing experience on the plane to have the keyboard in front of you as opposed to having the keyboard behind you in an upside down V? Uh, yeah, I mean you can you can get a little bit more space to put your weird little you know drink and you yeah know, I guess so, tray but, of food there, but whatever yeah. Um, but anyway, the, when you, when the pixel book doesn't do as well in tablet mode, it, it feels like the pixel slate in a lot of ways, but because nobody ever does that, it doesn't matter as much. Whereas the pixel slate is constantly like, as soon as you detach that keyboard, or as soon as you flip that keyboard around, it's like, all right, I'm a tablet now. And it's just so bad at being a tablet. It, hmm. it um, it drives me crazy. So my son, it's interesting. My son's 14. Uh, he had a broken macbook pro like a four-year-old macbook pro and and it eventually gave up the ghost but it worked except that i, I think the internal usb controller was broken so his keyboard okay. only kind of worked and his trackpad didn't work at all nothing not even like little so he had to like plug a mouse into the side to like use the mouse and he still while we were deciding what to get him as a replacement still used it as his youtube machine rather than use his ipad just because the he just he's just so used to using you know the fact that you don't need a stand right he right. can walk around the house and wherever he sits down the the screen is already propped up right know? so even without a working trackpad he still used a macbook <laughs> to watch youtube and again you know for as many hours as he'd be allowed to uh rather than use an ipad just because it's already propped up i mean that's yeah. how useful the the laptop form factor is i really don't see the need for the bend around backwards thing yeah, I, I guess I when I have it like on an iPad in particular, like this. The, the funny thing is, I don't like the new keyboard on the new iPad Pro uh, because I do use that flip around thing when I'm on a plane mm. or when I'm like yeah. lying in bed. I'll like I'll flip it around, and then you can get the screen just a little bit closer to your face, uh, and then it, it just it you don't have to worry about hitting the key or something. Um, 
And you can't do that with the new keyboard. The old keyboard you could you you could put into a sort of just watch like, a, like an easel mode or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the new keyboard you can't do that. It's, it's like it's it's either the keyboard's flipped behind it or it's yeah. sitting there in front of you. Um, and it's I, I get why they did it. It's better because like it's a little bit stabler on your lap in that mode. Yeah. And it also means I don't know they could move that smart connector to the back and that you know weird place. And there's there's probably a bunch of reasons why it's better. I'm sure all their you know research and all their usability testing say that people prefer it. Um, and I, I have this weird guilt about not liking it because I spent two years making fun of the original smart keyboard because it had this origami fold and yeah. like, it was awkward to like fold it up, but it turns out it was actually a pretty good solution. <laughs> exactly. I think there's somebody at Apple who came up with it, who was like, see, see, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. And it was, it, it's like better as a laptop with the new keyboard, but the other one, all the, hmm, why is this so funny? And why do you have to fold it and learn how these funny things it was? And why does it have this bulge? And, and now it's like, yeah, I guess I kind of see why. Because yeah. then you could just put this one thing on it and use it everywhere from laptop mode to airplane tray mode, you know. Um, the other thing, here's the other thing about the Pixel Slate that I found baffling immediately right at the announcement is why in the world are you making... M- people who might buy this choose between this baffling array of CPU options and RAM options and all of it. It, it, yeah. it is mystifying. Um, so they had to go with Intel because Chrome on ARM, uh, there's only been one good Chromebook on ARM, in my opinion. The rest of them have been pretty bad. Um, and and so they wanted to go with Intel. And if you go with Intel, you st- are stuck with Intel choices. And I think in their head, they were like, all right, well, uh, when people buy other devices, you put them at like $100 price breakpoints and then you just increase the storage. Well, okay, let's do that. Uh, well, people don't actually don't care about storage on a Chromebook. They care about processor speed. And we really want to hit this, um, you know, $600 price point. Is it six or 700 I think it's $600. I, yeah, I think it's, it's $599. Yeah, I think, the lowest, yeah. I think the lowest. Maybe it's $699. I don't know. No, no, it's $599. And uh, the... Do not buy that. I mean, don't buy it in general right now until they, they clean up some of these software <laughs> I problems. I didn't but, realize they were still making Celeron processors. Right? It's, I didn't uh, even realize that was still a thing. Man, th- not only are Celeron processors still a thing, they also are increasing the confusion amongst other processors. So the Surface Go that I just bought, like a weirdo, has a, this thing called a, a gold processor. I don't even know what that means. Um, and then there's the M3, which if you think M with Intel, that usually means, oh, it's really slow. But it turns out the new M3s are basically the same as the Core i5 and the Core i7 Y series, just with, you know, slightly lower clock speed and something, right. something. Um, and then maybe there's a core difference. I don't know. But anyway, I think they just they got lost in the weeds of, well, we want to have $100 breakpoints. So let's just pick specs at these $100 breakpoints. But the result is there's five different SKUs. And unless you know exactly what you think you're going to do with this thing picking one is impossible um and i I just they should have just said all right we'll make the cheap one and then we'll make the nice one right and then we'll make the crazy we'll make a third one if i guess i'll let you do that that has like super insane specs and then be done right Uh, but to have two in the middle it's just like you're getting you you're getting to put that price point out in the world but um you're doing it in a way that's actually going to hurt the Chrome OS brand again, because yeah. just like Windows, Chrome never says no. It never stops you from opening the tab right. that will slow it down. Right. 
right? right. And so people are going to buy this thing and they're, you know, they're going to think it's going to perform like an iPad and it's just super not. And yeah. they're just, they're shooting themselves in the face with it. Right. And to me, Ram options are another one where it's like, man, that is, that is the old, that is not something people buying this device should be worried about. Yeah. You know, give them enough RAM and then that's it. Then they don't have to worry about it. Cause I wrote about this and I got some more negative feedback than I expected. And I should have known it because the people who like to configure stuff built to order are, are vocal about it. But yeah. like, I like that the new MacBook air doesn't have any CPU options that you're, you're, there's just one CPU for all the MacBook airs. And there's people who say, well, that's not because it's a good idea. That's because Intel only has one chip that meets their thermal specs. You know, there's one chip and one chip only that meets them. So if there were more, they'd have CPU options. And it's like, oh, maybe because all the other yeah. MacBooks do. But none of Apple's ARM machines have CPU options. They make one chip for the model year and that's it. And it's that chip is good. <laughs> and, you know, that's it. You don't have to worry about it. You pick storage and that's it. And yeah. it, it, to me, it's delightful. Yeah, and, and for the MacBook Air, just philosophically, like it's the mass market laptop that most people should get, uh, uh, you know, in terms of a Mac uh, by far. Uh, and why not uh, just give them one processor option? Like, do you, it, yeah. you know, you you by by offering something up, you you get an upsell, I guess. Yeah. But the upsell is is there on the MacBook Pro. Uh, it's it you know it's already confusing enough that they've got the the 12 inch the MacBook Air and the 13 inch MacBook Escape all sort of jostling around in the exact same like price range, right? If you were to throw on upsells on processor speed on the MacBook Air on top of that confusion, uh, nobody would know what to do. Right, and you know, I, to me, it's the way of the future. With the to me inevitable move to Apple's in-house ARM chips for at least for MacBooks, whether the whole Mac line goes or not, we could do a whole episode on. But clearly, yeah. they're going to make mobile Macs that run on on their own chips. And I just don't think they're going to have CPU options. I think, you know, I don't know if they'll call them a series. Maybe they'll call them some other letter for the Mac chips, but you know, they'll be the, you know, the M one chip and that's it. That's the MacBook chip for this year or something like that. Yeah. You know, maybe the MacBook pro would get its own, but, um, so this is a, this is a huge rabbit hole, but I just, I just got to ask, um, assuming that they're going to move, uh, some Macs to arm. I, I also assume that they are, um, what is the software fix going to be? Is it are they just going to like do something like Rosetta? Are they going to just like use Marzipan apps and you know? Sorry for your luck if you want Intel apps. Like, no, it's, it's actually not clear to me. No, at all. it won't be the Marzipan. The Marzipan thing is is I think a red herring. I yeah. I, I, I I don't nah, Maybe that's the wrong term. I don't think it's related to the switch. I think it is entirely just a a developer play that, that there's a, and it, you know, it, it is true that there's more iOS developers than Mac developers. And mm -hmm. there's an awful lot of services that have native iOS apps that don't have native Mac apps, or if they have a quote native Mac app, it's really just a, you know, a web view wrapper. It's not really a Mac app. And yeah. it, those things, it would be better to have the iOS thing running like these marzipan apps. But I I have a rant. I I will get it out soon. I'll get it out bef before the end of the month. But uh, I think the Marzipan apps are garbage. I think they're yep. they are some of the worst apps on the Mac. I, I cannot believe Apple shipped them. I really I, you know I don't want to waste the whole rant here on the show. But I think they're terrible apps. I, I think it's absolutely baffling. I, I it's crazy that there's a news app and you can't double click a news article to open it in a window, <laughs> like to keep yeah. it open, like. 
<laughs> like, oh, here's a story I would like to keep open because it's a long story. I want to keep reading it, but I want to read other articles. No, you, you're, it's, you're limited to the user interaction of a phone, like a, a four-inch phone on a 30-inch iMac. Yep. <laughs> it's crazy. It's a garbage <laughs> app. So I don't think that has anything to do with it. And they certainly couldn't say Marzipan apps only at this point because, you know, they only have like these four toy apps. Yeah. Um, I th- the, 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 the question is, I, I think they would do it the same way they did the Intel switch. Announce it at WWDC before there actually is the hardware and mm-hmm. tell developers and say, you know, I, it's so funny because I watched the video again and I just I, I watched a bunch of old Steve Jobs videos recently Um Simply because I, I, it occurred to me that we're at the point where it, it's not so sad that he's dead anymore, right? right. And I don't mean to – that sounds callous, but it's like enough time has gone by that it no longer feels like a fresh wound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can watch Steve Jobs' videos now and, and just enjoy them for what they are. Um, and I watched that one. I watched the one where he announced the switch to Intel. And it's so good. It, it's like five minutes. And it is like he conveys so much information. But it's so amazing. I tweeted it. It's like the arguments he gives are exactly the arguments that they would give for switching to from Intel to ARM. It is entirely about um, not just performance. Like he says, like, look, I, we promised you a year or two ago a G5 PowerBook. Uh, we haven't shipped it. You know, that's on us. It's yeah. our fault. That's our fault because we promised it, you know, and he took the totally said, you know, we're Apple. We're the ones who said we'd ship it, but we can't because it's not the chip isn't there. Um, and he said, you know, we're looking at the, the power PC roadmap and we have ideas for some great machines we'd like to build. And we can't build those machines with the chips on their roadmap. And it's not just about performance. It's about performance per watt. And then there's this chart that shows performance per watt. And of course, you know, the Intel chips were had really high bars and the PowerPC had puny little bars. You know, it's like, wow, this is yeah. incredible performance per watt. Uh, that's exactly what they're going to say about switching to ARM. It is, it is, it, I swear they could just, re, just take the script and just have Phil Schiller say it instead of Steve Jobs. It, yep. it, it is the exact argument. So I think they announced it at WWDC. Uh, tell developers, you know, and here's, you know, Xcode, whatever version number uh, makes it easy. You know, if you've if you've been writing independent, you know, Swift is already, you know, everything in Swift is already automatically you just check mm-hmm. a box and it'll all spit out uh, ARM code. Your x86 code, if, you know, you've been, you know, following our guidelines, all of your Objective-C code will do the same. Um, if you do have assembly, you know, you're going to, ha- you know, that's that's where you're, you know. And, you know, it's rare these days that people are writing assembly code. But if you do, you know, we've got tools to help you, whatever. Um, but we're going to be shipping these next year. And we will have, you know, some kind of developer hardware uh, in available in the meantime so that you can get your apps running. Yeah. And that'll be it, you know. So I don't think you have to write Marzipan apps. I think most and I think most modern apps will just re- literally just recompile. So the only problem will be the older apps you have that are no longer being man- maintained, but you still use right. what happens with those. Um, will there be and, some kind of emulation? And what I've heard from people who know is that as performant as these Apple's arm chips are for reasons that are above my head, emulating X86 code on arm is slow. That, that right. it's, it, 
you know, emulating uh, PowerPC on x86 12 years ago when they made that transition could fly. Like, you really didn't notice. I mean, if you were using something really, really performance-heavy, you might notice. But regular day-to-day apps that you would use, if you used, launched a PowerPC app with, what did they call it? Rosetta was the yeah. technology. You didn't really notice. It was great. Um, I don't think that that's possible. But who knows? You know, Maybe they've got a genius who can make it happen. Yeah, and then I, I, the, the question is just how many of those legacy apps and, and what are they? Yeah. Um, and the one that everybody pays attention to, it's the one everybody's paying attention to with um, with the iPad is probably going to be Adobe stuff. Um, yeah. And there may be this bizarro world where uh, the Adobe stuff ends up not being a problem because they made a good marzipan app. Right, right. Right. If their iPad app gets good enough that it, you could yeah. run it on a Mac and Marzipan. No, the, because the Mac, I mean, no, but I know, no. I know. I'm just saying right. there's like, if you look at the, there's enough, like there's enough Jenga pieces sort of yeah. stacked up here that if you look three years down the road, you could see a lot of bizarro things popping out of the switch to arm, uh, mm. with, with, um, with what's going on with Adobe and a few of the pro apps on the iPad. Yeah. The other thing that Jobs did that I could see them replaying was he was like, now what about Mac OS X? Uh, you know, what, you yeah. know, how are we going to get that running on Intel? He goes, well, let me tell you, it's always been running on Intel. We've had, <laughs> and he like brought up like a Google earth image of Apple's campus. And he like even circled the building. He's like, we've, we've had a team in this building right here, building every single version of Mac OS X for Intel all the way back to version 10.0 in, in 2001. Uh, yeah. And, and then, and this is the total Jobsian, oh my God, of course he did it, but it was such a crowd pleaser. He was like, oh, and by the way, all the demos I've been showing you so far, this keynote, yeah, they're all running on this right here. This is an Intel Mac. <laughs> like, and you know, he was like an hour into the keynote already. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, I mean, the crowd just went nuts. I mean, they just went bananas. And of course he did that. Of course the whole thing was running on Intel up until then. But yeah. when he said it, it was just like, oh my God. It's like, I can't believe people didn't storm the stage. <laughs> so I would imagine him doing the same thing again and just saying, oh, by the way, this whole thing has been running on an ARM Mac. Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited for it. I can't wait. I mean, I, you know, you, you've used the air. I've, I reviewed the air. I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Uh, but I, there's, it, it just doesn't have, it could the magic. be so much better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it was so funny. It's so, I, I feel for it. Cause if I could only have one, if I had to go away to a desert island for 30 days and I can only take either the iPad Pro or the new MacBook Air, I would take the Mac because that the Mac is what I need for work. You know, mm-hmm. if I only had one, I would rather have it. I think it's great. But man, when you just got the new iPad Pro <laughs> and as frustrating as the software could be, the hardware is so amazing. Yeah. Man, the MacBook Air just seems like, oh my God, why can't I have this in this? It, yeah, it feels the same way. Um, and you, I feel I bought, of course, the 11 inch iPad Pro, even though I had the 12.9 inch for review. My wife absolutely loves it. My wife loves the iPad. My wife mm-hmm. is is prototypical. You know, uh, loved uses her iPad way more than every other device, phone, Mac combined, um, and just loves the 12.9 inch because if it's your main computer, it's fantastic to have that 13 inch size. Me, I just love this tiny little 11 inch thing that is so super lightweight. It it just feels so amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
I have last year's 11, and I, I don't think I'd go up to the 12. Um, now, if Apple with iOS 13, uh, you know, makes some moves, um, you know, I would I would think about it hmm. uh, pretty seriously, actually. Well, I don't know. It would have to be, it would, uh, for me, probably never, just because uh-huh. I know I'm always going to have a Mac until they pry it away from me. <laughs> but I, that's why I like having the secondary portable, biggish, big, way bigger than a phone screen that just is optimized for being crazy small and lightweight. Yep. Yep. Um, where were we? Uh, we, we were, we were working our way to the pixel three and I, yeah. we, we, we went sideways. Um, so the pixel three, uh, is that your main phone? Yeah. Although I'm, my Sims in an iPhone right now, um, which, uh, is fine. I actually, I, I've got an iPhone 10. Um, but I'd say I'm probably like 65, 70% pixel and, you know, 20, 35% iPhone. Uh, and which pixel do you, do you have the bigger one or the smaller one? So this time around, I went with the smaller one, um, par- partially because I didn't want to look at the the doofy notch on the the Pixel Three XL, mm-hmm. um, and partly because um, after using the iPhone X, uh, I just didn't want to go to something that felt oversized. Yeah, and, I, I can see that. I like yeah. this. I, I have the smaller one. I bought the smaller one, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been using it. A fair amount, but I never actually did what I thought I was going to do, which is try to just use it as my full-time phone for at least two weeks because mm-hmm. I so quickly determined that th- there's just no way I want to use Android. <laughs> so I, I really, I just don't like it. Uh, I think this is the best version of it that I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, it is what it is, but there's no point to me using it full-time. So I'm sort of treating it, I but I've had it with me everywhere. And I'm sort of just using it as a camera. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love the size. I don't know. It, it, to me, is actually a better size than the iPhone 10. I, I really, really like the size of this phone. And I like the weight. It is, it yeah. is I forget exactly how many grams. I actually got out my, my little precision kitchen scale. And I know I could look up the tech specs, but I weighed them. And it's, it is noticeably lighter than the iPhone 10. Um, and by 10, I mean 10 and 10 R and 10 S and 10 yeah. S max. Um, but it doesn't feel like, uh, insubstantially light. It feels like, Oh, this is the way iPhones used to weigh. Yeah. The, the weirdest, craziest thing for me is when I, uh, bounce from a uh, pixel three back to an iPhone 10, uh, the difference here it's, it's measured on like, you know, millimeters. I mean, it, it's gotta yeah. be less than 10 millimeters. Uh, five millimeters is the width. Yes. The iPhone 10 feels so much wider than the Pixel 3. Yeah. But when you look at it, it's like, yeah, oh, this is basically the same. Yeah. But you just, there's something about it that you're like, oh, this is, the iPhone 10 is wide. Yeah. It, there is something yeah. weird about it. And in the watch world, it's always the case that you cannot, in my opinion, it, no matter how much of a, if you're any level of a watch nerd, you have to see a watch in person before you really know if you like it or not. There's just right. absolutely no way to judge a watch from a photograph. Because you can say, well, I, I like the style of it, but until you see it in person, you really don't know how big it is mm-hmm. and you know how thick it is. And, and you can see the numbers and you can say, well, I've got a watch that's 12.7 millimeters high and it's not too high. And this one's 13 millimeters. So it's only three tenths of a millimeter. That'll be fine. And then you put it on your wrist and it feels like it's a bubble, you know, yep. it, and it's the same with these phones. It's like, I forget how many millimeters, it's 
just tiny, tiny little bit difference in width. And when you, like you said, when you eyeball them side by side, they look about the same, but then you put it in your hand and it feels narrower. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I don't know. Um, so what is it you don't like about Android? I, Which, by just, the way, totally fair. I'm not, I like, I, there are many things that bug me about Android. <laughs> it is hard to articulate overall. Yeah. Uh, on the surface, there are things that just bug me because they're so obvious. Like, there's no way on the home screen to get most of the apps I use. Like, the app names don't even fit. You know, right. like a Desert Golf, it so shows up as Desert G dot dot dot. I mean, that's yeah. not a long app name. No. <laughs> Instagram. Instagram is, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a pretty well-known <laughs> app. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. Instagram on my homepage shows up as Insta-gra, G-R-A, dot, dot, dot. But I, I swear to God. But the dot, 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 I think is I think it's M. wider than the M. That's that surreal. You must have some, like... Uh, zoom setting set. Well, to I don't have the zoom wacky. setting, but I do have the font size turned up one oh, click because the font is yep. tiny. That's yeah. another thing that I don't like. Yep. Like, you can turn the font size up, and it still is tiny. And they use like on the home screen, they use a compressed font. Yep. Yeah. It, it it's really <laughs> there's little things. There's so many little things like that that just make me crazy. Yeah. So the way that I've dealt with some of that stuff is um, I, I set up my home screen so that most stuff is in folders. So I actually don't actually, when I look at my home screen, I don't see any text at all. I just see rounded icons. Play um, store. Make... Play store shows up as play stow. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. It's a system app. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. I don't know. I could go on and on. I, I, yeah. I don't, it just doesn't fit my mental model for how yeah. things should work. I don't like Gmail. Um, mm. Although I do think they've made the Gmail app a lot better. I've, I've, it's better than I remember it being on Android. The Gmail app went through a period of like two, three years, a couple of years ago where they, they, they put too much like web view stuff in it and it was just God awful. Um, and it was even worse on the iPhone. Um, and so they, they finally were like, Oh wait, uh, we should, they bought this, uh, this great email company called Sparrow. Hmm. And so they yes. finally, they finally used the tech from Sparrow to like fix up the Gmail app, but it took them way too long to get it done. Yeah. The Sparrow guys had a good, uh, Mac app, right. Yeah. Or was it an iOS app? I forget. I think they had both. Or maybe they had both. Yeah. Um, no, I remember when they got acquired. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, you know, and there's other apps, you know, Twitter, the actual, if you use the Twitter branded Twitter app, it's, you know, more or less the same. So it's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I could get by, like I've said many, many times before, if I had to, if you put a gun to my head and said, you either have to switch to Android, but you can keep using a Mac or you can keep using iPhone and you have to switch your computer to anything else other than the Mac, I would take the Mac and an Android phone and I'd be fine. I mean, I'd be a little, I'd be, I'd gripe about it, but yeah, I'd be fine. Whereas if you took my Mac away, I would feel like I was in handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm able to switch between iOS and Android pretty seamlessly. Um, I, I don't really run into anything, but the reason I could do that is I'm pretty militant about, uh, turning off iMessage because I need to use Android so often. Yeah. Um, 
And that's that's the only thing that allows me to do that. Yeah, and I have to say, because I'm, and I know Joanna Stern wrote a column recently about, you know, I, I think it was specifically when she was testing the Pixel 3 about the pain of dropping off the iMessage universe. Yeah. Uh, you know, and all of a sudden all your group iMessage things don't work. It's it's tricky. And the pain of that, and I have an alternate SIM, I have a T-Mobile SIM that I used on Android, so I could do that and... Um, but then I'd still have to carry my iPhone around in case the phone rings. Yeah. You know, so, and then, and then you just use it. It just isn't worth it yeah. for me to, to no. do it. Cause I know I just don't like it. I, I just, I just don't, I don't know what else Did to you, say. Um, no, no, that's fair. Uh, it's totally fair. <laughs> the, it, it, honestly, I feel like sometimes the only reason I prefer the Android phone is because the home screen lets me put the, uh, the icons at the bottom of yeah. the home screen instead of at the top. <laughs> I did. I kind of like that. I, I, I don't really like the home screen on either any of these devices. I feel yeah. like, I feel like nobody's really made a good home screen yet. And I feel like the iOS one where the apps always fill in top left down, it's kind of crazy that we're in 2018 and it still works that way. Mm-hmm. Especially on the, the plus size phones, it's like what? What are you doing? Like everybody, <laughs> uh, did you see what Samsung is doing on the next version of uh, the the Galaxy phones? No, I don't think so. They're uh, it used to be called TouchWiz, and everyone made fun of it, and then they changed the name, and now they've got this thing. I think it's called One UI, and what they have done is they have made all of the headers on all of their apps massive and so literally oh, everything I, is shifted down to the bottom half of the screen so like you open up messages and there's like the yeah. top half of the screen is white space of the word messages and then you can see yeah. like three or four of your recent conversations it's hilarious yeah, I, I did see screenshots of that and it is so it's it's like you can, <laughs> you can kind of i mean maybe i err too heavily on the these the companies rip off apple narrative but you can kind of mm-hmm. see where there was a meeting where they looked at like ios 11 and they saw these big headers that apple started using these big bold headers at the top and they're like well if apple went that big what if we went bigger <laughs> we can go way bigger we'll beat them let's ship this because then we'll be first and they'll be forced to copy us and make the font 192 points <laughs> and it's it is kind of funny too because we've reached this world where everybody is sort of like yeah i guess the whole world does want you know five inches phones you know it, yeah it, because you can pack more stuff on them and then they they've reduced like the usable size down to like where we were 10 years ago well it's 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 the same thing as everybody copying the notch right it's right. like I, you actually justify it before you you throw that thing on there because it does like it does look silly and we we've convinced ourselves that it doesn't but it just does what do you think on the pixel 3 so i have the smaller one too mm-hmm. and there's no notch um it just instead has symmetrical chin and forehead um but they're small smaller than in the old days and i'm fine yeah. with it um but they rounded the corners off on the yeah. display and there's something about the way that they rounded the corners off that i can't put my finger on and i don't it's like the, there's not enough of an inset for like the icons up in the that in the in the top row yeah um if you want to uh, hate your pixel forever turn it off and then turn it on and stare at the corners where they round it off and you will see that they it it's actually bigger than what they round off and then they in software Round it a little bit smaller, more so, and it's not the elegant way that uh, you know the ret or what's the uh, right, liquid retina, the, the liquid right. retina that Apple does. It's, right. it's it's just they like eh, this doesn't quite match, and so they they just round it a little bit more just for the heck of it. But the screen is still sitting there, 
uh, able to show pixels, but they just they just cut it off to like get a different different corner on it. Oh, I just did what you said, and I see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> oh, why won't they just let me have that? <laughs> oh my god, it is so, the corners are so much better. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it is funny. You know what's funny about this this device shipping so soon after the quote unquote Liquid Retina did is that Apple spent time talking about how much effort they put into getting the corners right on mm-hmm. the LCD of the iPhone XR. And I, I guess this is an OLED. This isn't LCD. But, you know, it's still getting these round corners is, you know, there's work to be done. And I know and Eli, yeah. didn't Eli break out a microscope with yeah. the XR just to show, you know, and it, it's even more detailed than you think, like at yeah. the, literally at the microscopic level. Yeah. Um, that's how, you know, uh, the effort Apple put into getting those round corners right, and then they, <laughs> here's what happens if you don't put that level of effort into it. <laughs> it it just feels crowded for some reason. It is a much bigger phone than I ever thought I would like, uh, and I you know it, it is a very large screen, but yet because of the way they rounded the corners, I'm constantly thinking it feels a little cramped. Yeah, yeah. And I will add. Fair. Let me add this, Dieter. Here's another thing I absolutely despise about Android, and could. I'll just never, ever, ever, ever get used to it is the, the way that notifications get icons up there in the, in the status bar. Oh, you don't like looking at the little notifications. I can't, in the status I can't bar? stand it. I can't stand uh, the way that if you've got three from Instagram, you've got three Instagrams up there in the status bar. I don't want any of them in the status bar. I, and I, I don't think you can turn it off. Uh, I mean, I think you can do do not disturb, but yeah, you might be right that you can't turn it off. I, I, I don't mind them. I, I kind of, I kind of like seeing what they're, they're up there. Uh, my, my, my gripe goes the other way. Like the status bar is annoying. Sure. Um, but the, the information density on iPhone notifications with those big cloudy bubbles, I, they fixed it a little bit with iOS 12, but, um, the speed with which I can go through notifications on Android, it's, it's literally three times faster than what I can do on an iPhone. I can, I can pull that thing down, see everything sort of stacked and grouped together, swipe away the stuff I don't want, act on the stuff I want. Whereas with the iPhone, they, they just feel just way more onerous to me in, in some way. See, I, I, I love the iPhone ones, but now that they've added, like, I feel like now, I, maybe only with iOS 12, I feel like I finally am happy with iOS notifications. But I totally get your take on this. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think Android's notification thing is bad. I just don't like it. Yeah. I, I hate the way that you can swipe things this either way and it does the same thing. Like, I, I don't mm-hmm. know why. And because in some ways, I kind of see how it shouldn't matter whether you swipe left or right because there's nothing semantic that says, you know, dismiss one way, take action the other, right? There's no natural way to swipe. So why not be able to swipe both ways? Yeah. And I, so I think that's less of a objective criticism and more of a, I, I natively think in iOS idioms and therefore this feels foreign to me. Like, I I don't think it's a bad design. In fact, I can kind of see how it's actually a, a good design because it, it, you're just swiping off. It shouldn't matter whether it's left, right, but it yeah, bothers so, me. Yeah, and this is—I ex- have the exact same problem, but in the opposite direction. So the thing I most want to do with most notifications is swipe them to make them go away, <laughs> uh, just just dismiss them. And the fact that on iOS, uh, you can't—it's always two actions to just dismiss a notification. You—it's a swipe and a tap, or like you—it's you, a swipe to open. But if you just want the thing to just go away, uh, you, you can't do that. You got to swipe and then tap clear. No, you can swipe it all the way and it'll go away. Mm, I'm, I'm, uh, 
Which direction do you swipe it, left or right? Swipe it to the left. Oh, if you and then if you keep if you okay, but if you do a quick swipe, it right. opens up the the buttons. But if right. you do you a have slow to do like, swipe, right. then it goes away. See, that's crazy right. town. Like yeah, if you're trying to jam- okay, yeah. And yeah, it is kind of crazy. <laughs> anyway, but I like it. I, well, I'm used to it. I will say, right. And I, I do kind of feel, uh, honestly, I, I'll just say, I think iOS's notification or system is simpler and therefore more suited yes. to my dumb mind. <laughs> like the density of the, of the Android one makes me feel like I'm a little bit under attack. Oh, for sure. Uh, the, the iOS notifications, um, are like a they're like a lower cognitive load. It's not about it's not about a dumb mind. It's it's yeah. that there there's there's less to think about when you're yes. looking at them for yeah. sure. And and so I appreciate that because I I I need a <laughs> I need a lower cognitive load. <laughs> um, another thing, hardware wise, I I and to me this is baffling. Is why in the world did Google take this phone, which is otherwise so nice? It really is the nicest hardware I've seen on any phone other than an Apple phone. It is a very nice object in my hand. The buttons mm-hmm. are nice. Um, I I didn't have the Pixel 2. I had the Pixel 1. And the Pixel 1 did a thing where they, they put like an etching on the power button. Right. And I never liked that. I was like, why would you? It just does not feel like a nice button. It feels like... It feels industrial. It feels like something in a shop, you know, like right. a, a metalworking thing. It just does not feel appropriate. So, you know, I don't know why they did that. Uh, the buttons on this device, very, very nice. I'm not a fan of volume buttons that are a single rocker. I like to have volume up and volume down, but yeah. I'm okay with it. It's a nice feeling volume button. Um, it has a smaller camera bump than the iPhone. So mm-hmm. it put aside the the single lens versus dual lens. It's just it just in and of itself a smaller camera bump is inherently a good thing if image quality is maintained. Yeah. Um and we can we can go on a whole separate rant later about you know photography on the Pixel 3, but inarguably uh the Pixel 3 takes good pictures for a cell phone. Very good pictures for a cell phone. Um so the fact that it does it with a smaller camera bump is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But why in the world did they do this laser etching thing on the glass on the back? <laughs> what? The, this it's, Photographs do not do justice to this, what they've done to the glass. It, it, you can't, you have to feel it to understand it. And it is a, to me, it is not pleasant to the touch. Yeah. It, is, it is not pleasant. At times, sometimes, depending on if, uh, the texture of my skin and it we're at that time of the year on the east coast where my my hands will go from dry to sweaty you know because yeah. i've i've got gloves on and my hands get real sweaty uh or i've you know it's just cold and i don't have gloves on and my hands get real dry you know so my hands are all over the place skin wise and there are times when it has plenty of grip but there are times when it is the slipperiest goddamn phone i've ever owned in my life yeah. No, uh, Dan Seifert, a uh, reviews editor at The Verge, he, he just goes off on this because this phone does it and then OnePlus phones do it. Um, and I don't know, man, like the, 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 this like window shade thing, they call it, where the top is glossy and the bottom is matte has been like the identifying feature of uh, Pixel phones for a while. If they, if they just made it glossy glass, people would have assumed it was a Samsung um, but you can I see guess. what you, the glossy glass part feels great and looks great. And, and it's obviously what the glass started at before they laser etched it. <laughs> so yeah. it, 
could have just been the glossy back and it would have looked like the jet black iPhone seven except glass. Or they, they could have etched it on the inside so that it still right. had that, like right. some kind of the color two tone thing that they want to have. Right. Um, the other thing that caused um, – so every phone that comes out, every flagship phone that people pay attention to always has a bunch of gates. Like what are the problems yes. with it? And the the Pixel has had more than its fair share. And some of them are pretty bad. Um, we've written about a few of them, but not um, – I haven't actually experienced most of them. Uh, so there was uh, – there's an issue where like pictures don't save – um, there's a, a, a couple other software things that are just kind of inexcusable. Um, but the, the one at launch was the question of whether or not this etched glass scratches more easily than the glossy part of the glass. Because if you take a key and rub it up against the phone, um, it is the most terrifying thing you've ever seen because it just, you get these massive things that look like horrific gashes, but it turns out what's happening is it's pretty hard glass. And so it's actually, you know, it's just like you're, you're filling it in with the right. metal and then you can rub it off. Um, and so people did a bunch of videos showing that. And then there was a YouTube fight and blah, but, uh, at the end of the day, I do think this thing scratches. Like I've I've got scratches on this thing that I don't think I would have had otherwise, and it's not because I was like taking a diamond to it. I think it it does just scratch a little bit more easily than it should. It's 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 like you can. It's a sign to me of and and again, I think that the the Pixel hardware team is doing great work, and and I get so frustrated when I see articles like why does why does Google even bother with hardware? They're you know their Pixel's never going to amount to anything in the world in terms of market share, blah blah blah. And it's like if you're only going to get into hardware if you have twenty percent market share or something like that, it's there's only going to be three hardware makers, right? Right. It, it, I think it's a great. I think it's great that Google is doing hardware. I think it's great that Microsoft is doing hardware, regardless of whether they are industry titans in terms of market share or not. Um, I, I, I think it's really good for the companies. I think it's really good for their ecosystems, and you know, and and the, the companies are full of clever people. This hardware overall is very, very good, mm. but <laughs> I think it's very clear that they're like just 10, 15 years behind Apple in certain ways. And yep. one of them is like Apple made the same mistake 15 years ago. There was an iPod Nano. Yes. That, that was <laughs> made you of... You look the, at it crosswise and it was just... <laughs> right. You, you could actually scratch it by staring at it hard enough. Like a good hard stare and it would scratch the the polycarbonate, whatever the material was of this yeah. of this iPod Nano. And I remember I didn't have one right away. Um but I did get one fairly quickly. But I remember people were putting videos up and I thought it was like a gag. People were like, look, if you just put it here's my keys, here's the iPod. And look, it has like here's two scratches on it, right? All right. I put it in my pocket. I jump around a little. I take it out. Now there's four scratches. I was like, oh that can't be it was like, yeah. oh yeah, actually, <laughs> that's how easily it scratched. Like that is that is literally the test we did with the Pixel Three for our review, and the same thing happened. <laughs> and you know, so I just feel like you you wind up building a company winds up building like a checklist after yeah. after a thing like that, and no product <laughs> ever comes out again that doesn't go through. Uh, put it in a pair of jeans with 
with a regular pair of keys and see what happens. Um, the thing to watch with Google hardware uh, on the phones is next year's Pixel, uh, because this year, like, you know, they used to do Nexus phones and they were basically they'd work with some company like Samsung or HTC or Huawei and make it. Um, but they bought HTC's phone division, I don't know, a year and a half ago, two years hmm. ago. Um, and so this hardware is good and it is Google made hardware. You know, they did design it top to bottom, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's not like those old, the first Pixel phone or the old Nexus phones where really it was technically like a Huawei phone right. or whatever. Um, but uh, it takes a minute to integrate a whole damn company that you bought in, into your systems and into your processes and into your product roadmap. And so I think that next year's Pixel will be the first phone hardware from Google that actually takes full advantage of the fact that they bought a phone company well and not just any phone company htc was a for a while was a a really good phone company like their fall from the top tier of android handmakers was kind of baffling because um you know and it was funny because i i I don't know how i remember this because i wasn't really i never really cared about windows phone but back when windows phone was a thing htc was far and away the number one windows phone maker yeah and i thought it was a testimony to the the it was a real feather in the cap of the company that they pivoted you know because it's really easy to when you're number one at something to stay in it and then you you turn around and realize that you're on this windows phone boat and you've (laughs) you've you've you know you're on the beach (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the boat isn't even in the ocean anymore. It's like, oh, how did we get here? Like they sidestepped from being the number one Windows phone maker to being a top or maybe for a while the top Android handset maker um, really well. I thought that that yeah. was a sign that, boy, that's a that's a well-run company that is, you know, is, you know, keeping their eyes on the horizon, not just looking down at what they're doing right now. And then all of a sudden they're gone. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, they've been they, they made the very first Android phone. Um the G1, um, and they made a bunch of really good Android phones later, and they they were really good with materials, um, but they were never great with cameras, and they were mediocre at software. Uh, but the thing that they didn't have was Samsung's marketing budget, right? And like that's that's kind of the whole story is that with a lot of Android manufacturers, especially in the West, is um, nobody can compete with with Samsung in marketing, and Samsung was good enough on high end quality. That, um, you know, if you walk into a carrier store, which is what everybody did back in the day to buy a phone, um, they would just push you to Samsung. And that was the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that, that makes sense. Um, uh, the other thing I like, I bought the uh, the Google. I don't know. I, you, I, I know from your t- tweet where you showed the unfortunate scratch on your, your Pixel 3 uh, mm-hmm. that you, don't, you weren't using a case at least. But I bought the Google case. The one with the cloth fabric. The cloth back. one, yeah, yeah. I I'm not a case person, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to be, just because I, I I don't know why. Because I know I feel it feels strange to me that I don't use an iPhone case 95 percent of the time, but 95 yeah. percent of the people use one 100 percent of the time. Like they yeah. buy it, they the only time they ever touch it without a case is when they take it out of the box after unboxing it and putting it yeah. into the case. <laughs> uh, you know, and people are, you know, they're very expensive devices that are easily broken when dropped. And so I understand that. Um, but, you know, it seems to me like most people treat it like a, like the way, it, you, like a heart surgeon treats the 
the heart as they move it from the ice box <laughs> into the transplanted patient, you know, like, yeah, yeah. until they get that uh, iPhone into a case, they, they're, they're, they act like they're treating, hand, handling a raw egg or something. Um, uh, uh, but I'm trying it. I, I like this Google case. It is a very nice case. And I I've tried, I've wasted an unbelievable amount of money on iPhone cases recently as I try mm. to find one that I can kind of stand. Um, and I would say it's up there with the very best iPhone cases I've seen. It's a really nice case. Yeah, I am. Um, it's it's just a, a a tad thick for me. Yeah. Uh, but nobody nobody's made a good thin case for yeah. the the Pixel Three yet. Uh, so I'm, uh, that's one of the reasons I'm not using a case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, like uh, everybody at the, the New York office at the Verge who has a Pixel uh, swears by that that cloth case. They all love it. I um, like it, and I kind of wish it was available for iPhone because the thing I like I do like having an iPhone case for, and I keep one in my backpack. But I like it when I'm like on vacation. Or we mm. go to Disney World or something like that. And when I'm using my phone as a camera most of the time, so I'm on vacation and I'm in tourist mode and I'm taking lots of snapshots, I like having a case for grippiness because right. when I'm using my phone, when I'm you know doing the, you know Twitter and email and stuff like that, I never feel like I'm going to drop it. Um, it's the times and I, you know I've had very few drops over the years, but the times when I feel like it's the most precarious is when I'm photographing things. Mm. And so I like having the grip of a of a somewhat grippy case. And I like the idea that if I do drop it and it's in a case, it's, you know, less likely to come to harm. This case to me is like the, the cloth is really nice for grippiness because it's not sticky at all. So there's no friction going in and out of the pocket. But if you have like, if your hands are sweating cause it's hot or something like that, um, it's like the perfect texture. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, honestly, the, the reason I don't like it is, um, hitting the fingerprint sensor on the back. There's just like a, an extra yeah. little angle that drives yeah. me crazy, which is silly, but there yeah. it is. Well, and I will tell you, as I tell you also why I can't really bear to use this as my main phone, I cannot go back not to having face ID. That's another yeah. factor. Um, yeah. and I kind of knew that going in because, uh, Back in June, when iOS 12 betas came out, I, I, my habit for years has been never to don't, don't put the betas on my main phone until at least late in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, this year I kind of did it early and I know lots and lots of other people who did notice that iOS 12 was an unusually stable beta throughout the whole summer, even beta one, it was like the most stable WWDC beta ever. Um, so hats off to everybody who worked on that. But when I, when I got home from WWDC, I wanted to put the first beta on my iPhone eight and, you know, put it on. And I was like, all right, now I put my SIM in there and I'm going to use this as my main phone as I get used to iOS 12. And like an hour later, after the 10th <laughs> time of just staring at it and like, Hey, why isn't this unlocking? I was like, I can't use this. I, you know, took, I, I spent more time installing the beta on it than I did actually using it before I realized I I'm ruined forever. Yeah. And I, I have to say that having a fingerprint sensor on the back, it's not horrible, but it's not, it, it's like a separate thing, right? Because yeah. you can't unlock, well, you can unlock the phone with it, but when you're dealing with notifications on the notification screen, it's, it's an entirely different thing. Yeah. Well, and also like you, you just have to pick it up. So there, there's little, just like if it's sitting in a charging stand or something and you want to unlock it in, without taking it off the charging stand, you know, you can't, you got to like tilt it forward, you got to punch in the code and that's super frustrating. Yeah. And I, the thing, I'm sure people who listen to my show are mostly all on iPhone 10 already. Uh, well, not mostly. I know, you know, I, a majority I'm sure are, I'm, you know, mm. surprise, surprise. It's an early adopter crowd. Um, 
But for those who aren't, and I know that there's like a natural skepticism of people who like or even love Touch ID who are just so skeptical about switching, you know, that, that, the, that the new way forward from the iPhone 10 forward is not Touch ID plus Face ID. It's you've Touch away, Touch ID is gone. Now you have Face ID. The thing I can't emphasize enough is that once you get used to it, it's like your phone isn't locked at all. Right. You just pick right. it up and it's raised to wake or tap to wake. Right. You just tap it if you need to. And then you see a notification and you're like, oh, I would love to read that news story. I, this headline is very enticing. And you just, you know, open the notification and now you're reading the article. It was like you never even thought about the unlock part. It's and going back to something where it's like, ah, I got to stick a finger on that hole in the back of the phone. It's just an irritation every single time. Yeah, totally. It totally is. Um, and uh, I don't know when they're going to, if they're going to switch the the in-screen fingerprint sensors that are out there are uh, pretty slow uh, mm. relative to, to what you can get if you just have a separate one. So maybe they can switch to something like Face ID. Uh, I'd like them to, uh, but, you know, Apple probably has got that thing uh, patented up the wazoo. I wonder, though, because, I mean, it's, you know, Apple was first with the touch. Well, I, I know they weren't the first fingerprint sensor, but they were the first yeah. good fingerprint sensor. Uh, and now everybody's got a good fingerprint sensor. Yeah. So, well, and, and, and uh, there's Windows Hello. So you can, you know, like right. you can, uh, on a Windows laptop um, that they support it. And that uses an infrared camera. Right. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's maybe they could do I, I don't know. That's, it. It's the sort of thing where, you know, it's easy for me to say because my name isn't on the Face ID patent, but it's, <laughs> it's the sort of thing that as a generally, you know, not someone who's not generally a fan of software patents. Uh, it's the sort of thing that I hope yeah. isn't hindered by patents because it's so clearly the right way to go. Yeah. So do you want to hear my conspiracy theory? Yes. I love conspiracy theories. The Pixel 3 has one camera on the back and two on the front. Right. And the two on the front are there because they one of them is a wide-angle thing. And they also do actually use a little bit of it for portrait mode stuff. But the idea is mainly people love having wide-angle selfies. And uh, it's easy to poo-poo that, but like actually like handing it to a normal person and then being like, look, you can get it this wide. They, they love it. My conspiracy theory is that Google wanted to do the same thing with Face Unlock that Apple's doing with Face ID, but be able to claim that it was as secure as Face ID without having to use lasers because they are able to do with two cameras uh, detect your face accurately in the same way that they don't need two cameras to do portrait mode on the back, if that makes sense. Mm. They're so good at applying machine learning to what the camera sees that they could have a secure Face Unlock with the selfie cameras. Mm. I'm sure this isn't true. Uh, but it's my crazy conspiracy theory informed by absolutely no sources or uh, hints from in anywhere. It makes, it does make some sense. Um, it's funny. I've, you know, and like I said, I've been using the pixel three mostly as a camera for at mm -hmm. least a month. Um, I'm just not a big selfie taker. Um, so I've tried, you know, and I do see it. I, I see how from, and you know, and, and it, it it is optimized for arm's length. It is, it yeah. is, it is very useful if you're the sort of person who takes a lot of pictures of themselves in it and wants to see the background or takes a picture of yourself with friends and family right next to you. It, it, it does exactly what it, Google says it does. You know, it, it is a good camera for getting more people in from exactly the length of, of holding the camera out at arm's length. Right. You know, it's a weird focal length uh, at, at all sorts of other areas in the way that wide, super wide angle fisheye 
I mean, I wouldn't quite call it a fisheye lens, but it's close because it's so yeah. wide. Um, and there's all sorts of stuff that looks bad if you get it at the wrong distance, but it's, you know, it's surprise, surprise optimized for arm's length. It is weird though, that they have two pictures on the, to me, the lesser side, not the greater side. I mean, two cameras on the lesser side. Well, I think that, um, I mean, it's weird to me as well, but, uh, I'm also, uh, not a millennial. All right. <laughs> not, not, I mean, it's easy, it's easy to, duck, to make jokes about millennials, but I, I do think that in a lot of ways, the selfie camera is the most important camera on a lot of phones. And like, and I, I, I make, say that with no judgment. Like it's, I, it's it just, is what it is. It. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've even budged, I went a long time. I used to be my, my other pet peeve years ago nobody even talks about blogs anymore, period. But for a long time in the early years of Daring Fireball, I went out of my way to always use the word weblog instead of blog. Because mm -hmm. for some reason, I really, I thought, I still don't like the word. I think that it's, I don't know, there's something about the word that I don't like. Yeah. Um, uh, but I went out of my way for a long time to not use the word selfie. <laughs> I still do sometimes. <laughs> I will use, you know, there's a lot of places in Daring Fireball where, I will use the term self-portrait where everybody else in the 20th, 21st century would use the word selfie. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like if even Apple calls them selfies and, you know, every time Phil Schiller says the word selfie, it always sticks out to me because he always seems to me like the sort of person who, if he's using the word selfie, then I, I should be using it too. It's yeah. give it up. That's, it's a word, you know, language evolves and that it is what it is. But well, I think, I think everybody needs to have their one uh, language thing that they refuse to right. budge on. For me, it's um, beg the question. When people say beg the question and then like actually state a question when really, when they misuse the, the phrase beg the question, that's, that's the one that I get persnickety about. Oh, uh, I I'm big on um, uh, people who say that they're nauseous when they mean that they're nauseated because oh. something that is nauseous is what makes you nauseated. Right, like a nauseous odor makes you feel nauseated. Nauseated, right? And, and I'm correct on that, but. Uh, in general, I'm less, I, I try to be as much of a descriptivist rather than prescriptivist. The language evolves and it's, yep. you know, using nauseous to mean nauseated is so common that it's actually accepted in some places. Right. But it's, it's one to me that every time somebody says it, I always think that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to bite my tongue and not, <laughs> not correct them or go on the rant that I just did right there. All right, let me take a final break here and thank our third and final sponsor of this show. Uh, it's our good friends at Casper. Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. They make mattresses. They make sheets. They make pillows. It's a sleep company, bottom line. Uh, and they're experts. They're engineers. They're, again, this isn't like a white label thing where there's some company making mattresses and then Casper just brands them and puts a Casper sticker on them. They, they're, they've, they're literally, they have sleep engineers. I know it sounds like a joke, but they've got like serious engineering team that makes these mattresses. They're, they're all custom designed. They're made right here in the United States. Uh, and they work on, on things like breathability so that you sleep cool and your body temperature stays consistent through the whole night. It's a big deal. Uh, you get too hot, you get too cold, you're going to wake up. You're not going to have a good night's sleep. Uh, they offer uh, the regular mattress, which is great. That used to be the only one they have. But they've got two other mattresses now, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave 
features their patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. Uh, that's their pre- it's their premium mattress. That's what they're, what they're trying to say there. And the Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night, they say. Uh, that's their way of saying it's the lower price one. But it's great. It is a terrific mattress. They don't have a bad mattress. Uh, and they have a wider array of other products, I've told you. They pillows, sheets, all sorts of stuff like that. And it's all designed, developed, and assembled right here in the United States. Uh, now, here's the thing. Their prices are so much lower than what you see in a mattress store because they cut out the middleman. There is no mattress store with Casper. You buy from them. They make it. They ship it to you. Uh, and their shipping costs are lower because they're, they're, they ship them in these amazingly small boxes because they're foam mattresses. You just can't believe it. You buy like a queen size mattress. You just cannot believe the box that it comes in. It's just unbelievable how small it is. Half the reason to buy one is just to, the fun of opening one up. It really is fun. Um, but that means you don't get to try it before you buy it. But guess what? They have a hundred night risk-free sleep on it trial. That's over three months. So buy one, try it out. Three months later, you're not satisfied. No questions asked. They will take it back. And I've had readers say to me, you know, I did this and I thought it was going to be a nightmare, like sending your cable box back and they're going to try to, you know, you know, talk you out of it. They're like, oh, no problem. When, when can we pick it up? It's, it could not be easier. That's how confident they are and how few people actually take them up on that offer. But you can you don't have to worry about it. So here's the special offer they've got for you. Uh, 50 bucks towards select mattresses by visiting Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash talk show. That's just slash talk show at casper.com. And remember that same code, talk show, at checkout, and you can save 50 bucks on select mattresses. Terms and conditions do apply. I is this all the pillow? Uh, I think so. Yeah, they have pillows. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Yep, I use it. Love it. I, I have one. I love it. Uh, I, another sometimes sponsor of the show is Hello, who sells these buckwheat pillows that my wife oh, right. and son adore. Yeah, uh, absolutely adore. I don't. I I, I like it. I, you know, I'm not going to speak poorly of them as a former sponsor of the show. My wife and son love it. I like the uh, just the sort of regular pillow that the Casper makes. It's just like a like a pillow pillow. Yeah, and it's easy to wash. That's why I bought it because you could take it apart and throw it in the machine. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. You know, and uh, it's like brand new. Like my, mine's at least a year old. It's and yeah. it's been washed several times. And it's uh, I'm a drooler when I sleep, so I. <laughs> I don't know if that's too much information, but I need washability. Uh, all right, Pixel 3 camera. It is an excellent camera, but before I get to the camera, I have to say this. Here's the other thing about the P- Pixel 3 that I just, as an iPhone user, I cannot believe. I can't believe what a shitty screen it has. And I cannot believe the default setting for the display. I cannot believe it. There's which, I, of the, which of the one does it default to? It does it default to the super adaptive? Crazy yeah, adaptive. One? Yeah. So, so yeah. in you, you go to settings, display, and then you have to go to advanced. So you don't even know if you're just a typical user and you think ah, advanced. I, I you know, I'm, that's that's not for me. You would never even know this setting is there. You go to advanced, and then there's uh, what do they call it here? Colors. They have three options, natural, boosted, and adaptive. And they have a photo of like a hummingbird and some flowers to show you what these three mean. But there's no text describing what, what the difference is. <clears throat> the default is the last one, adaptive. And I think it's crazy. I don't know what the hell they're – I don't know what it's adapting to other than making everything look bad. It is so super saturated. I, I have no idea why they don't call that one boosted. 
like the even the terms they use are wrong yeah okay so uh natural is uh supposed to be straight rgb or srgb right boosted is supposed to be straight srgb but they boost it like 10 percent. and then adaptive <laughs> is adaptive to the colors on the screen where they make stuff super vivid but they try to be intelligent about not uh boosting skin tone so that they look donald trumpy it is they fail at that everything well, everything looks so, red <laughs> yeah everything looks red so the the history here and i in particular a part of this history is is fascinating um so number one the context to know and by the way none of this is um uh, like an apologia none of this is saying that these are the right decisions i'm just like the con i'm trying to explain the decisions i think they've made so number one is if, if you look at any other android phone and especially a samsung phone um it makes the even the the adaptive super vivid mode on the Pixel Three look washed out and muted. It is the most insane colors you've ever seen on a screen in your entire life. And Samsung has always tuned its colors that way. And so I think that there is a context for an, in the Android world where if they don't have the default presentation of the screen be bonkers, then people will think it looks washed out in yeah. the store relative to a Samsung phone in the same way that like all the wrong settings are on, on the TVs at Best Buy. Right. Right. And it's, it's like a blue state, red state America where it's like, you know, there's parts of the country where it's totally, you know, very typical to have like 10 guns in your house and there's yeah. <laughs> other parts of the country where it's like, it's shocking if you own a gun. Yeah. You know, and it's like, wow, what a difference, you know, and it's like we've sort of gotten like that's it's not political. It's obviously aesthetic, but Apple adheres to this very, 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 to me, absolutely pristine color space that is realistic and yeah. and not really uh, it just it, almost with scientific, literally, maybe not yeah. even almost like with scientific rigor trying to be realistic. And yeah, Samsung and other Android makers have pushed the Android world to this vivid nightmare scape. Yep. yep. And that leads me to the second part of the context, which was last year's Pixel 2, the XL, had such a terrible, horrific screen that they are probably overcompensating uh, with the way that they handle reds yeah. in particular on the screen. So we actually pulled our review for a while because we were worried about burn-in, brought it back. But the the screen was like cast-off LG screens, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Um, but the uh, reds looked brown. Everything looked muddy, like you were looking at it through a sheet of parchment paper. Um, and it was just, it was, it was a terrible screen. And so yeah. I think when they, when they got, you know, better suppliers here for these two screens, um, I think ironically, the, the smaller one is LG and the bigger one is Samsung. I forget which is which now. Anyway, um, I think they, when they, when they tuned the adaptive colors, they uh, turned it up relative to what they had on the Pixel 2 to like show that there was a clear difference in the screen. Because their defense of the original Pixel 2 screen was, hey, no, these are actually color accurate. We scientifically tested yeah. the colors, but it, it, it just looked terrible. And so, I, well, yeah. and it's funny because displays are, displays are a funny thing to review because you can't show you can't really show a display because wh you're whoever's watching your video or looking at the photos on your review is looking at those on its on a display right, right? exactly yeah you can't really show a display on a display uh, you know you I mean you can and there, you can put one side by side and see some of the oh i see i see which way it's going but until you see it in your hand you're like you can't do it and i remember yeah. last year thinking, I don't know if I should buy the Pixel 2. You know, I already have the Pixel 1. I didn't really use it a lot. I, maybe I should just get one every other year. And I went into a Verizon store and I remember reading the reviews and I picked one up and I was 
<laughs> like it's like the the Grandpa Simpson thing where he he goes into the bordello. <laughs> he like walks into the bordello and Bart is working the door and he takes off his hat and then he just turns sees it's Bart just turns around and walks right out. I just picked up the Pixel Two and I thought, oh, I see, and I just put it down and I was just like, I'll wait till next year. Like that was a bad display, whatever the calibration was. Yeah, I, yeah. I just can't believe that this it defaults to this adaptive thing and that it's not a first run setup thing. And I totally get that like maybe Apple errs on the side of too many steps in the first run, you know, and I know that it's, it's a tricky balance because you don't want to make it feel like you're taking a, a, the SAT before you get to use your new device. You know, nobody likes setting up, but you have to ask some questions. And if you're even thinking about making the default, so such a polarizing decision. Yeah. I can't believe that they don't even bring it up as an option. I, I really I really can't believe it. I thought and and Matthew Panzerino uh of TechCrunch, he got a review unit of the Pixel 3 around the same time. And so we both had them when we were in New York recently for the I think it was when we picked up like I said like when we picked up the 10Rs. Mm-hmm. Um and we're both very at the time we're very very new to the Pixel Three. No, it wasn't for the Ten R thing. It was for the iPad event because oh, I sure. remember yeah. I saw you. I it was when we we saw you guys in the uh, the green room then. Yeah, yeah. So Panzerino and I are both new to the Pixel Three, and we're taking pictures, and we're both like, "What the hell are all these people saying that this is a great camera? This is the worst camera I've ever seen. It doesn't get any of the colors right." And it, I, and we're both we were like, "This is garbage." And then I thought to myself wait, maybe it's the display. And I like sent sent one to myself and I looked at it on my iPhone and I was like, Oh, this is a terrific (laughs) camera. This, the colors are completely right. Yeah. And we were like, Oh my God. And then we started digging around and you know, it's not like the setting is hidden. It is in settings, display, advanced colors. I mean, it's, you know, once you, the advanced thing I think is a little unnecessary. And again, the terms aren't good, but then once you switch it to natural, it's better. Yeah. But the colors still aren't right. And I've shown this to a couple people, like a lot of indoor areas. I'll hold up an iPhone, hold up the Pixel 3 indoors. And I'm, you know, so I'm looking at the same scene on an iPhone through the camera, on the Pixel 3 through the camera, and with my eyes looking at the actual scene. And the colors on the iPhone look exactly like what I see with my eyes. And the colors on the Pixel 3 don't. But then I take the picture, send it to my iPhone or look at it on a Mac, and they look they look the colors are perfect yep <laughs> it's, i mean I, there's nothing else to say well, like that's and so the, part like of samsung my, and apple are the only companies that make really good displays and so part of my gripe about the argument that the pixel 3 is the best camera phone in the world is i don't know how it can be the best camera phone in the world when it doesn't have a good viewfinder because the colors mm. aren't right like you kind of have to trust what you see. You have to just trust that it's going to get the camera right because it's not going to look right when you look at the screen. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Uh, but I mean, I, I guess for me, it's, um, you know, the reason for me to take a photo is to send it to somebody and uh, nobody owns a pixel three. So they're going to have a better display. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is, it was, it was shocking. To me. And, and it is, it shows how spoiled I am and maybe how insular I am to the Apple world where I'm just so used to 
perfectly calibrated displays that I never have to worry about that. It didn't occur to me for days that it was the display and not the camera. I really right. thought that the guys like you, the rest of the guys at the verge, like Vlad, I thought you guys were like pulling the biggest punk in the history of the world. <laughs> I'm like, I wasted, I spent like 700 bucks on this phone. Cause the verge said it was, <laughs> it was a great camera. This is garbage. <laughs> Everything's red. <laughs> Everything looks like you're in, you know, uh, uh, you know, like again, like a bordello. Everything, everything's yeah. all like red. No, I I switch mine. What mode am I on right now? I think I'm on natural, but I may have gone to boosted just for well, the maybe hell I'll of try it. boosted for a couple of days because I don't like natural either. Adaptive though makes me want to throw the phone in the garbage. I cannot believe that they don't even ask about it. Yeah. Very strange. But the camera is good. Um, I do see why people who are fans of the Pixel Three don't really talk about video. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's not video is not bad, but it's not good. It's not great. And it's it's uh, it's it's definitely a place where, um, you know, you can do a lot with software. But uh, uh, the hardware, if your hardware, can, it, what am I trying to say? Video will betray your hardware every time. Mm. Uh, and uh, Apple has an incredibly powerful chip, an incredibly powerful image sensor, an image processor. Um, and that means that you're able to do good video. Uh, yeah, you, you can't you can't do machine learning on video files. They're they're too big and it would take too long. Yeah, and one of the ways that I, it's not a machine learning thing, I think it's an image signal processing performance thing. Is um, video is always a crop of the sensor. Like you don't get yep. the full. You know, when you switch, if you ever know, you know, just in case if you're not a big fan, just open up your iPhone or whatever phone you have. Look at the still photos at one X magnification, switch to video, and it zooms in a little is what it yeah. looks like because it's a crop. The pixel crops a lot more. So it's, yeah. it is, it's a, it is the, the widest you can get in video on the pixel is not very wide. It's, right. it's very unnatural to me as somebody who's so used to the iPhone for video. Yeah. And uh, I mean, <sighs> I don't know how Google's going to solve this problem because at the end of the day, uh, they don't have an A-series processor. They're waiting on Qualcomm. And uh, for as much shit as we give Intel for not not knowing what it's doing, uh, Qualcomm is not that much better when it, you get outside of like its bread and butter use cases of modems and sort of standard processing for, you know, mm-hmm. Android phones, right? When you get into like smartwatch battery or smartwatch processors or like other sorts of things that you, the computation you need to do to shoot good video, they're just, they just don't have it. And uh, I don't know how Google gets around that short of making its own Silicon. Yeah. And it's doing that a little bit. They have yeah. their own image processing chip, right. but uh, I think they're going to have to do a lot more if they want to catch up. Uh, for stills, it is absolutely, it is, I, I think it's just a terrific camera. Maybe it, I don't, I don't know if it's for certain better than the iPhone. I think it's close, but yeah. it's certainly in the ballpark. And in certain ways it's, you know, it's it's better the night sight thing is amazing it really is yeah the so i prefer the pixel photos just because they they tend to be uh, they're this is again it's all it all comes down to aesthetics at this point or mostly uh i do think that they they tend to look a little bit more dramatic they're a little bit more yeah. contrasty yeah um but what's interesting is the pixel 3 actually became a little bit less blue uh, a little more yellow, a little bit less dramatic, and a tiny little bit less contrasty compared to the Pixel 2. So Google actually moved the aesthetics of its images and its image processing a little bit closer to what the iPhone does, Yeah, um, which is really fascinating. Yeah, I saw it, you know, and I told you we did the um, the family Christmas tree 
uh, thing today and I took, I had both phones with me and I have some photos and I was looking at them just before we started recording. And there was a couple I took of my son and, you know, he's surrounded by green Christmas trees. Um, and I had to say that I liked the pixel one better because it was more contrasty and it. And the green was very like a rich, vibrant green of these trees. Whereas the phone, the iPhone seemed, it, I wouldn't say washed out, but it looked what the greens look washed out on compared to the pixel side by side. I, yeah. I there was like, it, they're both so good, but it's clear that their engineering teams have made different priority, you know, had different priorities and it's slightly different decisions in that, you know, the pipeline between image sensor and saving the actual JPEG. Yeah. Um, and you could see that. And then certain, so sometimes one looks better than the other. It is oh, for sure. I think Apple, I think Apple cares more about getting um, the people right and yeah. the skin tone, especially on people. Right. Um, and I think Google's uh, looking at the whole scene a little bit more and uh, that's going to lead to like, one's going to win some situations. One's going to win in other situations in, in yeah. both cases. Um, um, it hasn't no. kicked in for me much in real life. I don't know why, but, and I've taken a ton of photos with that. I, I forget how many I took at least 600, um, maybe more. Um, but when it asks you if you'd like to take a different frame because the subject was looking away, it is mm -hmm. so it's so brilliant. And it yeah. and it, and the other thing is, in over a month with hundreds of pictures taken, it has never once asked me that. It almost never does. It only comes up a couple times. It has never asked me that when it wasn't an, an improvement. Really. Yeah. Oh, that's I, yeah. I've had a couple that were a little bit, little bit off, but again, that's like I don't know how many like thousand photos I've taken. The worst so I can say was there was rate. one where they were. It was hard to say. It was fifty fifty, yeah. and it was sort of like they were right that neither was great. Yeah, <laughs> there was. It's and yeah. it's sort of spooky that that the machine learning is so good at identifying a. Hmm, your the subject of this is clearly a human being, and this human being doesn't really look good. Yeah. What's <laughs> Yeah, what's impressive about the experience of using the camera on the Pixel Three is what they did. They, they they fixed their algorithms. They improved their portrait mode a little bit. It's not quite as good as the iPhone with the the, the two lenses, but it's pretty good. Um, and then they just ladled on a bunch of features. And having you know reviewed phones for twelve years or whatever it is now, uh, anytime a, a company says, "Here's our camera and here's the fifteen new things we added to it." you know you're in for a disaster because they're all going to feel like they're tacked on and they're going to mm. feel like gimmicks and they're not going to work very well. Um, and somehow they managed to avoid that for the most part on this camera. The, the stuff that they do feels pretty well integrated. And when you use it, it's, you know, it, it seems like it's worth using. It and, is, it, you know, it's a yeah. very well done app. It, it's not just that the features are there and the machine learning and the AI and what, you know, the, the, the image chip that they have, whatever. It's not just the engineering. It, it's mm -hmm. to me, it's by far and away my favorite app on the device. Yeah. It is. It's a really nice app, and you know, in some ways, you know, there's there's a. It's not that different from using the iPhone camera app. I mean, you know, like I don't. Know, they put like the button to switch from the front to the back on the left instead of the right, and well, you know, that's just a yeah. choice. But. Uh, I don't know. It just it it doesn't get in your way, and like you said, it sounds like ah, oh, there's a bunch of features. How much? How annoying are they going to be? Uh, and not, they're not annoying. Uh, there's an interesting philosophical difference between Google and Apple that I I thought about as I've used this because I've um I I didn't get I didn't I'm not enough of an Android nerd and I didn't want to 
screw the phone up. So I didn't get the mm. night sight thing when it was a like unofficial oh, hack. The beta. That you yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't do that. Yeah. I just waited to get the over the air thing. Um, and I got it and I, you know, it's obviously a, you know, because it's the only phone in the world that has this feature, it's, it's, you know, super exciting. Um, and it, you know, at times is, uh, it's often amazing. And at times it gives you a picture that you just simply couldn't get otherwise. Yep. Um, that's a picture worth keeping. Um, there are other times where it takes pictures and I, you know, even in the example pictures that people have posted, um, where it's like, that's technically amazing, but it, I don't like it because it looks like daytime. It's so yeah, it, looks it, fake. Yeah, it yeah. gets such a good exposure that it doesn't look, it doesn't look true to the scene. Like, you know, this is supposed to look like a dark street at night and it looks like daytime. Yep. Um, well, that's why I'm really glad they made it a separate mode. If they had tried to build that into like something that happens automatically in the main camera, I would have flipped a lid because yeah. I want, I, w- I want consistency and like, ex- I want to, Get, know what I'm going to get when I click the camera shutter. But with Night Sight, you kind of don't know. It's always something you use like, well, this is a crazy situation to try and take a photo. Let me give this a shot yeah. instead of just replace the main camera function. Yeah. And they have a nice UI for it too, because you're just, you open the camera app, you're just framing a photo. And if it's low mm-hmm. light, it says try Night Sight. And there's, you know, if you don't want to, you can just take your picture as usual, take your chances holding your, your hand still. And then if you want to go night sight, it's, you know, just tap that button that pops up only when the phone thinks it might be useful. Yep. And so you're not surprised, you know, you're in night sight and therefore, you know, you have to take three or four seconds, I, I think, you know, maybe two, three seconds, whatever it is to hold the camera while it's, uh, yeah, while it's making the exposure. And it's interesting. So the thought that I had at first was, well, this is interesting and it's obviously useful. And so, you know, it'll probably spread to other phones, including the iPhone in some way, whether it's next year or two years, whenever. But now, now that I'm using it and thinking about the way the iPhone works and looking at the difference between the portrait modes on the two phones, it occurs to me that maybe not, maybe the iPhone wouldn't ever do this because there's clearly a philosophical difference between Apple and Google's camera teams which is that Apple philosophically only seemingly, I mean, maybe they, they could always change their mind in the future, but so far they only do things that they can do live in the viewfinder. Right. And Google will do things that happen afterwards. So in Google's portrait mode, portrait mode is the perfect example. When you're doing portrait mode on the iPhone, you see the portrait phone live in the viewfinder in real time as you move the mm-hmm. camera around. And then the image you take is exactly what you saw when you hit the shutter button. Right. Whereas on the Google phone, when you're in portrait mode, it doesn't look any different than the regular mode. And then you take the picture and it applies the portrait mode in the next maybe second or two. Um, yeah. You, you, you can even see it sometimes, especially yeah. like in night mode. If you like, yep. if you hop into the picture right away, you like see the garbage and then yeah. all of a sudden it resolves. <laughs> right. It's exactly true. Right. Night sight's perfect like that because you take it. And of course I'm super excited to be taking night sight pictures. So I'm like, Ooh, here's a good time. Ooh, I'll take it. And it's like, up, oh, ah, this isn't that great. And then it's like, Oh no, wait, Ooh, that's interesting. You know, yeah. but it takes that much time. Yeah. Um, and night sight now. So portrait mode obviously can happen in real time. Because it Apple does it in real time, right. but Night Sight by definition can't happen in real time. You can't right. you can't in real time preview what three seconds worth of exposures algorithmically stitched together into a cohesive sharp still image will look like by definition because you need mm-hmm. the three seconds. 
And so I wonder if Apple will do it. I mean, maybe they, if, if it becomes popular enough and the other phones pick it up, they might have to, quote unquote. Yeah, I hadn't thought of the idea that Apple philosophically doesn't want to do anything that you can't preview live in the in the viewfinder. And I'm I'm trying to think if like I mean I guess you could argue that like Panorama doesn't, but even that, it's like I don't know. If you think that's really a like a philosophical thing that they want to believe in, then no, then, I, yeah, actually, they, they never I mean I've talked to people who are familiar with the situation and it is. <laughs> okay. Um it's why the ten R um that you know, the 10R has portrait mode, and 10R does everything in real time too, even with a single mm-hmm. camera. But the 10R in portrait mode doesn't have the stage lighting effects, which I don't really find useful. I've never once, I, I don't, I almost never even apply them, frankly. But yeah, even when I have tried to apply them, they don't look like the ones Apple has that look good. They look like somebody's head got cut off or something. Yep. Um, yep. But the 10R doesn't even have them because it can't do them in real time. Huh, with the with the one you know obviously it has the same chips so it's not the chips it's the fact that it doesn't have two cameras right so it, it is that's yeah okay right. that makes and, sense and every feature that they have the in like the latest and greatest that doesn't work on older iPhones it's not marketing spite like oh we're going to we want you to pay to get the new phone to get it it's because they can't do it in real time without blank Right. And so some of the new stuff can't be done in real time just because the new um, the neural engine thing on the A12 is so much faster than it was before. Right. Like every single one of those things that that seems like it could be marketing spite, as I call it, is literally. I mean, you can say that the that the refusal to not do anything that can't be shown in real time is marketing spite, but that's their attitude. Right. I mean, I mean that, that makes sense. Again, like the most important thing with the camera is predictability, right? right? That you're going to take a picture and it's going to do what you think it's going to do. Well, but on the other hand, like I'm, I started my life in, as an amateur photographer shooting on film and film, film was entirely, you know, find out what you got later. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think I don't even, it, to me, it's a six of one, half a dozen of the other. It's two different approaches. I don't say one is better than the other. I mean, there's advantages to both. But I'm not like put off by Google's render it later approach because it, maybe it's just the old film shooter in me where looking through the viewfinder of a 35 millimeter f- camera, there was no bokeh, you know, right. <laughs> was, everything right. was in focus. Uh, I could focus at any distance I wanted to, um, you know, it's it, and and you'd find out, you know, what kind of depth of field you really had when you got your film developed. So, right. you know, having to wait two seconds as opposed to waiting three days, weeks. yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. It still feels like magic to me, but it, it, it couldn't happen in night sight otherwise. Yeah. Um, I do wonder, um, what other photographic problems Google thinks machine learning can tackle. So I know that <laughs> the next one for them is going to be white balance. They actually, they have a different white balance algorithm in the standard camera than they do in night sight. Hmm. So when they, what, so the way night sight works, it's, if you haven't seen it, that it, um, it takes up to 15 frames. They're not long exposures, to, but they can be longer. And then it, um, it stitches them together. And then it also, if you have handshake, it's able to use machine learning to make sure everything lines up and stays sharp. And so what you get is you get a picture that uh, often has less noise than you otherwise have because it's able to average over the different shots you took. And it also makes it look unreal because it's brighter than it otherwise would be. Anyway, when you do that and you make a 
photo that is, you know, you took it in the dark, but it looks like it's daytime. Um, it turns out that white balance goes bonkers. It goes crazy. Everything looks yellow or strange. And so they just, they did a standard machine learning thing, which is they're like, well, these all look wrong. So they had everybody fix them to make the white balance right. And they did that with, you know, some right. sample of photos. And then they just told the camera, all right, make the white balance look like that. Right. So they didn't, you know, they didn't manually tune anything. They're just like, these all look right. Those all look wrong. Make it look more like that. And that's the white balance that gets applied to night sight. And I'm, I'm sure they're going to try and bring that to the main camera. Um, but I got to think there's other stuff that they think can be, you know, machine learned or whatever. And so then at some point, uh, will that philosophical difference of, you know, what is a quote unquote true picture of a thing uh, going to be and what counts and what doesn't might be a bigger rift between um, Apple and Google. If, if Apple falls on the, you know, on a, putting that line at a different spot, because yeah, at could. the end of the day, there's no such thing as like a true image. But, right. And I yeah. think Apple's, you know, excitement over the, um, the fake bokeh in portrait mode shows mm-hmm. that they're not adamant about that either because it's, right. you know, you know, there are foot, you know, purists, if you will, who are offended yeah. by the idea of fake bokeh. Um, and you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I was always a fan. I liked the early years of Instagram when everybody was using the, um, the filters. Um, yeah, me too. I, I thought that was great. And, you know, I think it was just, thing of the times you know and it wasn't going to last forever but it was a fun it was a very effective way in my opinion to patch over the fact that the camera phones of the time were still kind of camera phony and not real um camera camera you know that they were still kind of you know we're getting to the point where a camera phone was actually just a good camera in any way period applying those filters that made them look like snapshots from 1977 was a fun way to patch over that. Um, yeah. So I'm cool with that and I'm, I'm cool with portrait mode and sometimes I get portrait mode shots. I like them and, and they especially look good on the phone itself when they're small, like, and then there's a lot of times I'll take a portrait mode photo and then I look at it on my iMac and I'm like, Oh, that's actually, <laughs> that's actually not good at all. That doesn't, that is, Ooh. And it's like, it looks totally fake and gross. But most people look at their pictures on their phone, you know? Yeah. And they'll, they'll scroll by on an Instagram and they'll, yeah. they'll look at it for long enough to double tap it to give you a like and they move on to the next thing. No yeah. one, no one's actually, you know, zooming in to see if the hair got cropped perfectly right. correctly or not. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, ideally you want it to look good as big as it can get. I mean, you know, and Apple famously for the last three or four years now has spent a gazillion dollars on the shot with iPhone marketing campaign, putting mm-hmm. iPhone photographs on the biggest billboards, you know, they can buy. So, you know, Apple's certainly on board with making printing iPhone photos very large, but I think it's okay to add features that work best when looked on the iPhone itself and portrait mode is one of those things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I wonder what else AI can do. I I feel like I'm not, I'm not imaginative enough. Like I feel like they're going to continue to surprise us. Yeah. Well, it it is literally just imagination, right? the, The method for this white balance thing is just take a data set, fix it and say, do that thing. And, you know, in my head, when I think about, you know, machine learning and camera stuff, I always think in terms of, I don't know, like a Moore's law, like more processing power, more, you know, better sensors, faster chips, blah, 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 blah. Uh, But this was just them saying, oh, wait, we have this methodology that 
you know, works for recognizing, you know, dogs on the internet. Well, that same idea could work to fix white balance. So it's, it's literally, can you, can you take that same method and apply it to some other thing? You know, if you can build a data set, you can tell a computer to try and match it. Yeah. And I think the other thing that, you know, that's exciting, um, is that like the actual Moore's law, Moore's law with CPUs has been over for a while. Like our CPUs just aren't getting faster. And so the things that could be improved by radically faster CPUs, we're not getting, but like the machine learning stuff is in a like early years of the eighties CPU phase where, you know, the, the a 12 really is like ridiculously faster than the a 11 at the neural engine stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Google's got their chip and um, the pixel three one is way faster. You know, like the one year, just wait a year, this stuff gets so much faster. And when you have those cycles and you can throw that many, uh, iterations of the machine learning thing at an image, you can really, really do amazing things. Like, yeah. I feel like the portrait mode stuff is going to get so good so fast that this, anybody who's skeptical about it still is, is eventually is going to have to give in. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I have to imagine every time a phone ships and uh, people that are working on this stuff see what we all say about the portrait mode are, are just gritting their teeth because they know they've got something 10 times better yeah. sitting in the lab, you know? <laughs> I. Uh... I think so too. And I, but I also wonder then too, about like the people who are working on those things, like how do they stand leaving at the end of the day and then using the, <laughs> you know, the pixel three or the iPhone 10 S and, yeah. and they're stuck with this crummy camera when they, when they know that they've got, they've got one in the lab that is just so much better. Yeah. Uh, anything else? What else did you, anything else you wanted to talk about? Man, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm just sort of glad hardware season's over. It, yeah. uh, I, I wish that my last review hadn't been on uh, the Pixel Slate and all the, the Palm phone, but uh, that's that's the way it goes, I guess. It kind of peters out. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been an unusually busy review season for me, personally, because I, mm. uh, I did the phone, I did the iPad and the Mac, Mac, uh, MacBook Air. Yeah. I did not do the, the Mac Mini. Because I, I it's it's like I'm glad Apple is doing the Mac Mini, but it's like probably the least likely Mac that I would buy. Yeah, it's a it's such a it's so interesting because a lot of people still still think of it as like that entry level consumer Mac, and it's super not that thing anymore. No, it's absolutely not, and that's why yeah. you know it's funny that they're still calling it the Mac Mini, and we can you know there's the whole thing about why are they still calling the MacBook Air the Air when it's thicker and heavier than the regular MacBook. It's like the yeah. name, those it's just names that have stuck. You know, like the Air is the one that looks like that and is 13 inches. And the Mac yep. Mini is the one that's a square that's this big, even though it's actually not that mini compared to a lot of these NUC computers. And mm-hmm. it's downright gigantic compared to the little computers you can just put on a thumb drive. Um, but it's actually a nice size for what they're doing now, which is putting like pro components into it. Yep. Well, anyway, it was good yeah, having cool. you on the show. I really yeah, enjoyed this. Yeah, this was a this. blast. And, uh, you know, true to form, it was, it was only like an hour or so. (laughs) (laughs) I want to find more to talk about so I don't have to go back to putting lights on the Christmas tree, but (laughs) I feel like I've taken up enough of your time. So my thanks to you, everybody can follow you. Uh, you are backlon, B-A-C-K-L-O-N on Twitter and, uh, and can read your fine work at the verge, um, Someday, next time you're on, what we should talk about is um, the old, the real palm. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, Happy to do that for days. Because you, that's, you know, if people don't know this, if people don't remember, you were, um, were you the editor-in-chief? What was your title? Yeah, the- so uh, I was the editor-in-chief, uh, and I also founded it, and at the time it was called Pre-Central, right. now it's called, um, well, now it's gone, but it was Web <laughs> Nation for a minute. Uh, but yeah, so we, we had this model where um, it was called, now it's called Web Nations, but it was smartphone experts, so I founded Windows Central and iMore, um, Although at the time it was called Phone Different because we didn't know what we were doing. Um, <laughs> and uh, Android Central, a few others. Um, anyway, uh, it all grew out of uh, the original website, which was called Visor Central. Right. Uh, and so I've been very involved in the Palm community for a, a long time. Met my wife because of Palm. Uh, whole long thing. It's, you know, it would be great for a huge topic on the show, but there's... It is very funny because I, I was always a fan. I never had one, but I was a huge fan of the UI. Hmm. Um, it was the thing to love about the phone was that it had this great, the whole system. And I mean that in the truest sense of the word was cohesive and thoughtful. Um, <laughs> and 11 years later, all the other phones have, have finally <laughs> caught up to the UI. <laughs> yeah. Everybody it took, a, took a minute. That's the one thing, you know, like everybody has come to this user interface that is kind of basically the the palm card interface where you sw- it, swipe up from the bottom and you go side to side to switch between apps. Yep. <laughs> and, and just this year, uh, Apple and Google got around to implementing the idea that you should be able to use the thing that you search to also do actions. Right. So with list Siri shortcuts and and uh, and whatever they're called on Google, I guess it's right. called actions. Um, I still missed, I'm still waiting for somebody to to uh, put the notifications at the bottom, which yeah. I thought was I thought that was so perfect. Uh, I think it's perfect until you have a software keyboard and then yeah. it's probably a disaster. Yeah, that's probably, that is probably why that nobody's yeah. done that, I guess. I don't know. But aesthetically it was, it was superior and it felt like well, a more it was natural faster. Place. Yeah, for sure. I, you know what? I will say this as a fi- final note, it, it is easier to switch between iPhone and Android, or at least the pixel version of Android than it ever has been in the past, just because so many of the interactions are similar now. And yeah. I don't. I don't think it's a case of copying. I think it is sort of water seeking its own level, and the best ideas, you know, everybody kind of arrives at these good ideas. You know, I mean, without question, we talked about notifications. The iOS was clearly behind, at least on the features of the notification display system, mm-hmm. for a long time, and it's you know gotten a lot more like Android, where they're grouped together by app. And you can deal with them as a group if you want or expand them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the card-based UI switching and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's definitely easier than it has been in the past. Yeah, I, uh, that, that's very generous of you. I, I do think that the the multitasking system and the, the core card switching system on the Pixel uh, feel like a, they're, they're a little bit more of a rip of the iPhone. And it's certainly way less elegant. It's way more fun to switch between stuff on an iPhone than it is on a Pixel. I was trying to be generous. <laughs> Uh, the one thing that drives me nuts is that you still have to tap the home button. You can't. It, it's like they didn't copy swipe, enough. Do a quick swipe up. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's yeah? The, the companies that are more willing to just blatantly steal from Apple, like OnePlus has a, a different multitasking like UI system for the buttons at the bottom. Uh, it's just better. It's just like swiping up is way more natural. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
anyway, back on, mm. on Twitter, The Verge, where it's, is where your fine work can be read and viewed. Uh, and I thank you for your time. Have a good holiday yeah. season. Uh, you too, man. Have fun with those Christmas lights. This has been a blast. <laughs> God help me. <laughs>